a lot of these late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. <laughs> How was that for a Ted Levine? <laughs> That's really good. Oh, God. So many great quotable lines of dialogue. I know. We're going to be saying so many quotes. I, I guess that was the one I had for Silence of the Lambs. If I had to choose one from Hannibal, it would be um, from horrendously deformed Gary Oldman saying, And I have immunity from the risen Jesus, and nobody beats the Riz. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, this is going to be a doozy of an episode, because of course, I think uh, we're breaking form a little bit from the 2001 Fort Year with Silence of the Lambs, is that right, Zach? I know we're, we're trying to pad things out to make this a, a full discussion, but not only are we doing the 20-year anniversary of Hannibal, we're doing the 30-year anniversary, anniversary, anniversary of Silence of the Lambs, which is pretty cool. To the day, we should mention. Yes. This is, this is a, everybody knows my fascination with anniversaries. And we 100% backed into this by accident. But we were actually recording this episode on the 30th anniversary of Silence of the Lambs being released. That is just genuinely inexplicable that I did not did not even try to do that. Yes. It just happened. Yes, happy Valentine's Day, Zach. We're going to be discussing a serial killer <laughs> this Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, yes. We're doing exactly what any normal person should be discussing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is uh, like that documentary said, this is your date movie. <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. This is going to be a doozy of an episode, and I told Zach this before we started recording, and uh, I think he, well, he agreed with me. But he is unaware of how much of a doozy this episode is actually going to be. Because I did something that I did not tell Zach about. So I have five and a half pages of notes for this discussion. And you might say, that's a lot of notes, even for two movies, if we're doing Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. But I wanted to let you in, Zach, on what I did this past week. On Monday, Uh. I watched Manhunter. On Tuesday, I watched The Silence of the Lambs. On Wednesday, I watched Hannibal. On Thursday, I watched Red Dragon. On Friday, I watched Hannibal Rising. Saturday, I was going to wash my eyes out, but then Zach (laughs) sent me the documentary on Silence of the Lambs, so I had to watch that. So literally, I have been immersed in Hannibal Lecter this entire week leading up to this recording. So this discussion is basically going to become about the Hannibal Lecter franchise. Aren't you excited, Zach? (laughs) As excited as one possibly could be for this. There is a lot of movie that I just described, some of it good, some of it bad, and I figured where I wanted to start is with what I didn't dive into are the TV shows. Uh, I know what, oh. I think the TV show is called Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen, right? It's just called Hannibal, I think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there's now one episode of Clarice, the new thing yeah. in the Hannibal Lecter franchise. I did not watch any of that. I, I was kind of like, I don't really care too much. Uh, it would have been too much to even, f- I think there's three seasons of Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen. I was like, I can't fit all this in. And so I just focused on the movies. I looked a little bit into Clarice because the Super Bowl was last weekend and they played a commercial for that every single commercial break. I have not watched the only episode that exists, but I did read about it. And there was one thing I found that piqued my interest, Zach. Apparently... There is a scene in the first episode of Clarice where Clarice is at her desk and she goes to, like, open a drawer. 
And when she opens or touches the handle of the drawer, there's some, like, substance on it, and that gets on her hand. And it is revealed that her male co-workers rubbed lotion on her drawer and then laugh at her and say, like, put the lotion in, in your drawer, put it in the basket, Clarice, and it is very strange. So the the series, from what I've gathered, the first episode, her FBI male counterparts are making fun of her for successfully catching Buffalo Bill. It's very strange. So I, I don't know if you're aware of that, Zach, but I had to mention that that was the most interesting thing I read about the first episode of Clarice. <laughs> I find that fascinating. It's like an office prank, putting lotion on like like file cabinet handles. I find that very fascinating. Prank. Oh, ab- absolutely, yes. So, and I've I've also I've never seen any of Hannibal with Mads Mikkelsen. Like I said, I know that's over now. So I just focused on the movies. But but I wanted to start with this, Zach. As I decided to do this and really dive into all of these Hannibal Lecter movies, because I don't think I've mentioned on this podcast before, I had only ever seen Silence of the Lambs once prior to this. So I've always known about Hannibal Lecter through cultural osmosis, but I was like, man, I should check out these other ones because it's been around for so long. They keep making these movies and these TV shows. So let me actually dive into it. And as I was going through this, I started to think, well, this doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Of course, you know, with Clarice now on T on um, CBS All Access or whatever it's on, I was kind of like, well, who would be the next Hannibal Lecter? And I, my immediate thought was, let's see who is playing Hannibal Lecter in the Clarice show. Clarice does not have the rights to the character Hannibal Lecter, and there will be no <laughs> mention of that character in the entire first season from what I've read, which is crazy That's to me. That's odd. That's very That's odd. That's odd. So I wanted a definitive answer. I was like, who is going to be the next Hannibal Lecter? Who did they cast? They cast nobody for rights reasons. So I was thinking, well, who would be a good modern-day Hannibal Lecter? And the answer came to me almost immediately. It would be Army Hammer. Zach, are you aware of the the sexual allegations that have been made against Army Hammer recently that involve cannibalism. Are you up on that story? Um, I, I am not, Rob. So apparently, well, one, I want to start by saying we don't kink shame on this podcast. Actually, correction. <laughs> we, we, we kink shame one kink, and that's Zach's thing for squirrels. We shame that kink. Oh, we, don't, God. we don't kink shame anybody else. Apparently, multiple ex-girlfriends of Army Hammer in the last few months have come out and said that he is into, you know, some kinky shit that involves some, like, cannibalistic tendencies. I think the one thing I read was uh, one of his ex-girlfriends, like, got a cut on her finger or something, and he, like, wanted to suck on it and drink her blood. Um, but apparently he's into, like, the BDSM, you know, the, uh, that, type of, that type of fetish play, and he likes to say some cannibalistic things. That's the extent of what I've read. So Army Hammer what, what is— What does that mean, though? When you say, when you say cannibalistic things, that, that conjures up a very specific image. I am so Doing glad the- you asked because now you have opened the door, Zach. We're diving into this. This is the start of our Hannibal discussion. <laughs> We're discussing the modern, the modern Hannibal. <laughs> okay, here we go. This is, this is what I found. There was an Instagram account that released screenshots of allegedly Army Hammer's Instagram direct messages to various women from 2016 to 2020 describing sexual fantasies including violence, rape, and cannibalism. So that, that's kind of where this all started when I heard about this, that this was happening. Of course, Army Hammer has, you know, uh, denounced this. He says they're not his. They're, um, you know, fabricated for whatever reason. Um, but then, reading a little further... 
So, uh, as I mentioned, a former girlfriend alleged that Army Hammer was uh, emotionally manipulative, abusive in their uh, recent relationship, and alleged that he said he wanted to eat her flesh and would suck or lick her wounds if she had cuts on her hand. Another former Mm. girlfriend Mm. claimed that Army Hammer carved the letter A near her vagina and was serious in suggesting that she have her lower ribs surgically removed so that he could eat them. <laughs> I had heard very briefly that Ar- I, there was another podcast I was listening to, and they were like, did you know that Army Hammer's a cannibal? And they kind of brushed it off, and I was like, hold up. And I looked into it, and this is what I found, Zach. <laughs> so apparently there's a few things that he's been okay. dropped from because of this controversy. I think that he is primed to be picked up as Hannibal Lecter in whatever they do with Hannibal Lecter next, which is clearly not the Clarice show. <laughs> okay. What do you think about this, Zach? What do you think about the Lone Ranger eating people? <laughs> Uh, what do you think about the Winklevoss wow. twins eating people? <laughs> now that I get, that's what happened to the other Winklevoss twin. There were two Army Hammers. Nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> In that Social Network film, there were two of them. It wasn't a special effect. It's just that Army Hammer ate the other one. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> what we're trying to say is that David Fincher's complicit in all this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, I can't argue with any of this. Rob has his evidence uh, lined up perfectly. Um, Army Hammer it is. Yeah, I I actually didn't think about this idea any further because I thought this fit so perfectly that, uh, you know, I I didn't have to think about any other actors that could play Hannibal Lecter. (laughs) So, So with that out of the way, I have to ask you, Zach, of the five Hannibal films or the films in the Hannibal Lecter franchise, I guess, we know that you've seen Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, because that's what we're focusing on today. Have you seen the others, Manhunter, Red Dragon, and Hannibal Rising? I saw Red Dragon, thought it was fine. I remember being confused about what Manhunter was, like when I would read about it, like years and years and years ago. Okay. Now, now I understand it perfectly. And Hannibal Rising, I thought that was like a fever dream. I was kind of shocked that was released, what, 14 years ago? Yeah, 2007, um, I yep. I, I could have sworn I could have come out like sometime like in the like mid 2010s. Like I could have sworn I was like, "Oh, that came out in 2014." <laughs> I have no interest ever in watching that. You know, I've heard that it's decent. Okay. It's not really anything to get upset about. But other than that, like um as we'll get through, I think Silence of the Lambs is fantastic, probably one of the greatest American films ever made. Um, Hannibal is what literally caused 9/11. No one could convince me otherwise of that. <laughs> Red Dragon is Red Dragon is serviceable. Um, it feels watered down, but beyond that, it's fine for what it's trying to be. It's not trying to really do anything exciting. It's just kind of there, and I've never seen any of the others. Okay. All I know is William Peterson is in Manhunter. That's all yeah. I know. He plays Edward Norton. He pl- William Peterson plays Edward Norton in Manhunter. <laughs> Manhunter. I think. Tell me I'm wrong. Ed, no, I think I'm Edward wrong. Norton plays William Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably more accurate in your description than mine, but at the end of the day, I, I know that character that Edward Norton plays is a huge character in the Hannibal universe. Yes, but like I've never cared about that character because I never. I know I remember watching Red Dragon and being like, "This is a boring character. This is a this is a this is a non character. There's sure, nothing here." Sure. Okay, okay. So so I figured that because um, of course, like I said, of course we're focused on uh, Silence and Hannibal. Um, but I figured we would go through the Hannibal Lecter franchise in in order of Hannibal. So we have to start with Hannibal Rising, which is the origin story of Hannibal Lecter. Um, I watched the uncut edition. 
I don't really know what the difference is. Whatever that means. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Whatever that's that means. the one I was able to find. Um, it's the one the director prefers from a tweet that I read, so I guess there's something there. It is the origin story of, of Hannibal Lecter. Like, the first 20 minutes of the movie is him as a little kid, and him and his family are, like, uh, trying to survive in Lithuania during World War II. His entire family, except him and his sister, dies when a plane crashes into a tank in front of their house. It's a okay. it's a ridiculous scene. Then a group of Nazi deserters take refuge in his house. They chain the kids up, and then they're starving in during World War II and trying to run from everybody. So they eat Hannibal's sister to survive. Like, that's his, his childhood. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That. And apparently that's in the Hannibal book as well, which they didn't include yes. in the Hannibal movie. Um, but we'll get to that. So this is this is where it gets absolutely ridiculous. There's a time jump to after World War II, I think in, like, 1950, where Hannibal is in some Russian orphanage in the so- or Soviet Union orphanage. He escapes and makes his way to France, where he finds his Asian aunt who teaches him the ways of the samurai. What? Yes. And, and get this. <laughs> there's a scene when Hannibal puts on a samurai mask that looks identical to the mask with the bars oh. on it from Silence and Red Dragon. Oh, and I'm God. like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Because God. the mask is not something he wants to wear. It's something that they put on him so he won't eat people. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of laying around. It's not meant... To- oh, my God. Nobody... It's- it's horrendous. And then Hannibal, uh, he, his first murder is a butcher who was rude to his Asian aunt because in a market, this fat slob rude butcher asks the, the Asian aunt if her pussy runs crossways. Do you get it? Because she's Asian. Do you get it? Isn't that what you want from Hannibal? Why he hates rude people? And, and then the whole thing turns into Hannibal injects himself with truth serum so he can remember what happened to him when he was a kid. Cause there's this whole, the first hour there's like a subplot of how he's repressed his sister getting eaten and stuff. So he injects himself with truth serum, which lets him remember everything. He goes back to the ruins of his house in Lithuania. One of the Nazi deser- deserters now works at like Lithuanian customs and follows him to the house and tries to kill him. But Hannibal gets the better of him and it becomes a revenge plot where Hannibal has to kill all the Nazi deserters that like ruin didn't even kill his family. Because remember, his family died because a plane yeah. crashed into a tank, but he has to get revenge for his sister. And it just it just gets absolutely terrible. Um, at the end, it's revealed that young Hannibal was also fed his sister. And that, like, drives him off the deep wow. end, and so he just becomes the monster that we know him. So that's it. I think that's all I have to say about Hannibal Rising. The, the only oh, so thing— stupid. It is, it is pretty stupid, but I think I agree with what you said before very briefly about it. I don't think I'd go as far as to say that it's a bad movie. It's just so out of place with what we know about Hannibal Lecter that it doesn't work. All, other, all four of the okay. other movies, even though Manhunter and Red Dragon are the same story— they're all detective things. They're crime-based. There's, there's some mystery that's going on. Yeah. Hannibal Rising is just like a revenge plot, like I said. It's an, it's an origin story. Yeah, and it, it doesn't work. You know, Like I said, I don't think it's bad. It's just boring and so different from the established idea of Hannibal Lecter that it doesn't work. You know, I, I love the character of Hannibal, or at least I love the setup that he's, he's caught already, and they have to go to him because of reasons X, Y, and Z. That's what's interesting. I don't care if he had to get revenge on all these weird people. I do have to mention, though, after I watched this, 
I found that, you know, uh, the person who owns the rights to Hannibal Lecter, our good old friend Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, okay. Dino still owns them? Okay. Yep. And yeah, and I think even though Dino's dead now. He's dead, his, yeah. yeah his, I think his the, the Laurentiis company or whatever it's called still has the rights to Hannibal, which is why they couldn't get him for Clarice or didn't get him for Clarice. But apparently after like from 2002 when red dragon came out and then eventually dino de laurentis is like i want to do more with this character he goes to thomas harris who's the author of the books that all this is based on and he goes thomas harris write another hannibal book and and he's like no i I kind of finished that character and dino de laurentis says okay i'll find someone else to do it so thomas harris basically wrote the book so nobody else would take over his character and i don't know really if he made it purposely bad or so different from what we knew just for spite, but there there is some pressure from like the, the film industry as to why we okay. got Hannibal Rising the book and the movie. So I, I I don't hate it for that reason. Like it definitely seemed that Dino De Laurentiis was just like, Listen, it's gonna happen with or without you, so it might as well be with you type of thing. Okay. So that's Hannibal Rising. I don't recommend anyone watch it. It's uh unless you wanna see Hannibal young Hannibal get trained in the way of the samurai, which is the craziest fucking thing. <laughs> That's that's so dumb. It is. is it so is. Dumb. It is pretty dumb. But then, of course, that's that's our first in our chronological uh, Hannibal story. Of course, the next story is the story of Red Dragon, uh, and Red Dragon is adapted by Michael Mann in Manhunter. Uh, once again, the reason it's called Manhunter in 1986 is because Dino De Laurentiis was something like Bruce Lee keeps making movies with dragon in the title. So we can't call this Red Dragon because people think it's a Bruce Lee movie. So it gets changed to Manhunter. And from what I read, everybody except Dino De Laurentiis involved in the movie thought Manhunter was a stupid name. <laughs> yeah. So Manhunter from 1986 and Red Dragon uh, by Brett Ratner in 2002 are pretty much the same exact movie. Like, the scripts are so similar that it's almost ridiculous. But, I mean, they're adapting the same work, so it kind of, you know, makes yeah, sense. It goes to the territory. Yeah, but I, uh, the first thing I have to say, I watched the Manhunter director's cut. The theatrical version came out in 1986. On August 15th, Zach! <laughs> it's a Ben Affleck's birthday movie, okay. which I was shocked to uh, to see. I Another interesting thing, apparently David Lynch was approached by Dino De Laurentiis uh, to direct Manhunter. Oh, of course. That was that right after Dune. Right after Dune. Yep, absolutely. And f- from what I've read from a few sources, the story goes that David Lynch read the script and turned it down because it was violent and completely degenerate. And I'm like, that's, I would love to know more about that conversation. And the thing, the joke that I thought of was, was David Lynch saying that about the Manhunter script or was he saying it about Dino De Laurentiis? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, yo. No, so uh, on Manhunter, I have to say, out of the five movies that I watched for this, this, this five in the Hannibal Lecter franchise, I think Manhunter is my favorite. I absolutely loved Manhunter. William Peterson, of course, plays Will Graham. He goes on to be Gil Grissom in CSI. Stephen Lang plays the reporter, Freddie Lowndes, who's Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Brett Ratner version. Tom Noonan plays the Red Dragon, the killer. And every time Tom Noonan's on screen as the, as the killer, screen as the killer, I'm just locked in. It is some of the most intense stuff I've seen. It... it 
gets really at man Michael Mann's Manhunter gets really abstract at a certain point. Like they do that scene with the blind woman feeling the tiger, like before it gets surgery, but it's done in a very, very more like abstract way than Brett Ratner just going, feel the tiger, put your hand near its genitals in the red dragon version. There's a great scene where like Tom Noonan is having a, a hallucination of like the guy from the, the photo lab, with and and the blind woman like kissing each other and it's scored to uh the prime movers strong as i am which is a great song from the 80s and it's so goddamn good The whole final showdown has Iron Butterflies in Agata DeVita. You have you have classic Michael Mann. Just every scene is bathed in a color. Like this scene is all blue. This scene is all red, and it's just wonderful. I absolutely loved it. Hannibal Lecter's played by Brian Cox, who I think people would know today from what Succession, the HBO show, and he only has three scenes. They never even mention that he's a cannibal in this movie. It's it's wonderful. I absolutely loved Manhunter. I would absolutely recommend it. And then Red Dragon is such a weird rehashing of it and such a more modern, updated, you know, superficial version that I just couldn't get into Red Dragon when I watched that one. Except the scene uh. where Ralph Fiennes ferociously eats a painting. <laughs> Do you remember that scene, Zach? I don't remember I don't remember anything from that. The only thing I remember from that movie is isn't there a part where Anthony Hopkins is like in a school gymnasium and he's like tethered to like like a bungee cord and he tries like lunging at Edward Norton. Yes, they're in uh in Red Dragon, apparently when Hannibal Lecter needs to get his exercise while in jail, they put him in a gymnasium, as Zach said. Uh he is he is okay. tethered to <laughs> so like, I remember this correctly. Yeah, he's tethered to like this this thing at like a like some type of zip line contraption and then he can only move in certain areas and there's a big ring on the ground that says like do not cross and so it's like this is how far Hannibal can get while he's tethered up so don't cross this line and he does he lunges at Edward Norton um that scene is not in the original of course uh <laughs> Brian Cox is just in a cell you know alone that type of thing I uh, like I said I love Manhunter Red Dragon it was so difficult to watch because it is it is almost the exact same movie. I guess I kind of like that Harvey Keitel is Jack Crawford in Red Dragon. Jack Crawford in Manhunter is good old Dennis Farina. We can't we we always love a Dennis Farina, like we said in our Midnight Run episode. I don't think Ralph Fiennes is great as Francis Dollarhide, the Red Dragon, the killer. I I think they try and give him too much backstory. Where Tom Noonan is the killer in in Manhunter is just like I'm a fucked up dude. And you don't know why, and I'm just doing terrible shit, you know, and it's great. And I also love Tom Noonan. He just plays villains all the time, and it's fantastic. Reba McLean, the blind woman, who is played by Emily Watson in Red Dragon, is an atrocity. It is so difficult to watch her. I don't think she plays a blind person well at all. It's 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 almost, like, offensive, I think, the way she plays it. Uh, and it's just, it's you know, I, I feel like Brett Ratner... Dino De Laurentiis told him what to do. He did it, and they got Red Dragon. Exactly. Yeah, and so... 
Uh, Manhunter is so much better, and it's it's just the way to go. I don't think I have, uh, Edward Norton is also not as good as 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 um. He's very bland in that movie. Yes, incredibly bland in that movie. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's fine, I guess. Uh, I think the last he's doing thing... Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the only other thing I want to say about Manhunter and Red Dragon is that, of course, in the modern Hannibal Lecter trilogy, so Silence, Hannibal, and Red Dragon, we have the recurring character of uh, Barney, the nurse, who's played by Frankie Faison. He's also in Manhunter, not as a nurse, as a police lieutenant. So Frankie Faison is the only person to be in four out of the five Hannibal Lecter films, which I think is pretty cool. (laughs) They couldn't get him in in for Hannibal Rising, which would have been strange. (laughs) So... That's what I did this week, Zach. I have inundated myself with Hannibal Lecter. But now we can get into Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal. And I think I've already mentioned my context. My context was, I saw this, I saw Silence once. I didn't really care for it. We'll talk about that more now that I've especially seen it again. And my context is Hannibal. Happened last week. (laughs) (laughs) So, Zach, would you now like to talk about what you think of the Hannibal series? Yes. 45 minutes later, Zach's context, which is rare. It's a rare instance. This is the meat of our Hannibal sandwich. <laughs> I know. It's it's rare to think of when Rob's context outdoes mine. It, it usually doesn't work that way. Um, no, I was always kind of a – I remember my mother liked these books. I think I I think she's still – I don't know. I don't know where it is. We, I used to have her copy of Hannibal somewhere. It's, oh, okay. like the most mon- it's like the most mundane like book cover ever. It's just Anthony Hopkins with a fedora on. I just laugh at it every time I look at it. Uh, no, it's like I was always aware of Hannibal the movie before Silence of the Lambs because my mother would talk about it because she was one of these people that would eat up those sort of just like, like oh god, I don't even know to call it like kind of like your your Hannibals, your Da Vinci Code, like those really like like the blockbuster novels. Oh sure, sure. Did you ever read any of the books? No, I'm kind of tempted <clears throat> to read Red Dragon now, and like maybe um, I have a backlog of Star Wars books that I need to read, <laughs> so um, I might get to that eventually. Um, no, it's like I was always aware of the character of Hannibal. Obviously, like Rob can tell you, the uh, Anthony Hopkins portrayal of the character just kind of seeps into the culture through osmosis. Yep. It was about 2009 where I got both Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal on DVD because that was when Rob can tell you when I started doing like my uh, projector thing with halloween like stuff i remember getting silence of the lambs i enjoyed it like for what it was at 18 no 17 years old i'm like okay this is good the only thing i remembered about hannibal at the time after watching it was gary oldman in a meat costume (laughs) and and the ending the very very specific ending of hannibal which is kind of unforgettable yeah and that was kind of it like i always had silence of the lambs hanging in the back of my mind but it was never something i really prioritized i always felt it was like okay it's, it's a movie that once you watch it you watched it and i think it has a very anticlimactic ending and so but like last november part of barnes and noble's criterion sale i finally got on blu-ray because i had like a dvd that was like produced sometime like in the early 2000s and it wasn't really good quality and i i i opened it just a couple days ago in preparation for this recording and as i was watching it like I remembered everything about the movie, but I just kind of forgot how good it is. Like, mm-hmm. everything about it kind of – it's a movie that fires on all cylinders. It's one of those very few instances where you kind of can't – you couldn't improve the movie if you tried, objectively speaking. Then I watched Hannibal, and I'm like, oh, god. This oh, is, you weren't this talking is, about is... Hannibal right there? That it couldn't be improved? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, good Lord. Uh, Hannibal. And I remember like doing research like as to why Hannibal was so different than Silence of the Lambs like years ago. And like I watch Hannibal. I've only seen Hannibal twice when I got it on DVD in 2009 and then yesterday in preparation for this. And oh, good Lord. Hannibal is just it's 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 a nightmare. It's kind of like, oh, God. Hannibal is the Silence of the Lambs. What Doctor Sleep is to The Shining. Like it may not, it might not be as egregious. Okay, but it's almost it's probably the closest thing I can think of to Doctor Sleep and how it's just like it's it, it's cynical cash grab. It might not have the malevolence behind it that Doctor Sleep has, mm-hmm. but it's just a cynical cash grab. That's all it is. Yeah, I I would uh, I would agree with that. And um, I remember you know you saying I think uh, last week of course when we introduced we were going to do Hannibal but also pair it with Silence of the Lambs you said something like you know you can't really there's not a lot to say about Hannibal and my notes exemplify that because all of my notes are basically about the last scene like that's all there is to talk about the last two scenes I guess with Ray Liotta I guess I don't know if we want to you know jump into that yet (laughs) but of course Ray Liotta's in this uh, fear me we know Green's behind everything he took your powder not Lord John He's been playing games with us, and he's playing games with you. Fear me! Fear me! Shut up! Fear me! Shut up! Fear me! It doesn't look good. Shut up! (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Okay, guess I guess just going forward, like if you haven't seen Hannibal and it hasn't been ruined for you, the final scene. If you are so inclined to watch that movie, don't listen to this because that final scene, even though the movie's like two and a half hours long, it's not worth watching. That final scene is pretty neat. It's oh, a yeah. it's a pretty good it's a pretty good ending. It's weird to think of this though, but like I think Hannibal has a more satisfying ending than Silas and the Lambs does. I I would it's definitely more arresting and it's definitely more shocking i think where i think the the end of silence is supposed to be like a a wrap up type of thing or semi wrap up i'm sure we'll talk about that with the um you know the final uh, dr lecter dr lecter that whole thing from silence but the end of hannibal to me is just like you know can can you believe we did it's this yeah yeah it's a, it's it's but you know what it is though it's 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 a psychological thriller for like the 2000s like that's like it, it's going mm-hmm. for the shock and awe. Yeah, it's it's much more of a gore fest type of psychological thriller. I don't even think gore fest is what this. I, that's that component is there. I think it's a film that's trying. It now lives in a post screen world where everything has to be kind of like over the top, sure, um, to get a rise out of the audience. And that's the probably the biggest difference between these two films yeah. is that Silence of the Lambs is like subdued to like the umpteenth degree it is such a nuanced film considering the subject matter whereas hannibal just dials every element that to like a 10 i totally agree um and then I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it more but you know hannibal all the things i found interesting were almost like c and d plots and everything i didn't care about was dialed up to 11 in hannibal like i thought it was such a, a poor execution of just everything i wanted more of and especially i guess you know the 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 climax that comes before the climax we've been discussing the whole thing with gary as i like what you said gary oldman in a meat suit a meat costume like, that just stops at a certain point. There's no real ending to that story. It's just like, oh, yeah, we're done with that now. <laughs> well, yeah, because, like, it's almost like 
Gary Oldman in meat costume is really good. Like I, you gotta give him credit. Like he's like you believe that's a real person in the sense oh, yeah. of like, like, like at no point do you like look at this as like a effect or makeup. Like you look at him like oh boy, like this is what a deformed person that's gone through numerous levels of plastic surgery would look like. Mm-hmm. That's probably the highest praise for anything in this movie I can give. <laughs> like everything in hand. I, I, I guess we should just. Oh, we're going to touch on Hannibal first because technically this is a 2001 movie. Sure. Like Hannibal is as if like, it's everything that could have gone wrong went wrong if they were making Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> I like that. I like, like that. It, like I honestly do, – I don't think there's a single good thing about Hannibal. Like I gen- – like, like, and, and I don't mean that like, in, like even like performances, it's not very good. Like Anthony Hopkins is trying – He's trying real hard at times. Mm-hmm. Julianne Moore sucks. Ray Liotta sucks. Fear me. Gary yes. Oldman and meat costume. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Oldman and meat costume is good because it's just the only redeemable aspect of the entire film. That's that's what trying, I was mentioning. They're I, trying something different. I wanted more of the Mason Verger story, but they don't focus on it. And I'm like, I don't. I'm like, but there's put- not there's nothing to it though. Like the most like the best part of of the the best part of the whole Hannibal movie is the flashback of, of him and Anthony Hopkins, and like it's shocking how like. They, they, like, there's so much homoeroticism in all of these stories based on the book. Like, when you look at the books, and the movies do everything within their power to go away from that. Yeah, yeah. They do every, they move heaven and earth to be like, nope, nobody's gay. Nobody's gay. Trust us. (laughs) This has nothing to do with being gay. And I know, like, even, like, as Rob loves it and hates it at this point, like, if you go, like, I listened to the blank check discussion of Silence of the Lambs, and they literally spend half the episode being like, this film is a detriment to the trans community. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, it's we'll, like, we'll have it's to, fiction, I do want to touch on yes, that when we get to Silence. We but will no, touch on that. I agree with yes. you that the, I think the best stuff about Hannibal is the, the Gary Oldman in a meat suit. Oh, that's great. I didn't think of that. That's awesome. But I love that aspect of it. And then that, that the, the very ending I, I dug as well. Everything else, they spend so much time on the stupid Italian detective. And I'm just like, why does this need to be so much of the movie? Like, I would have loved because to see you know more of him trapped by Mason Verger with the wild hogs and shit like that. Because – but – they're tr- okay, like I said, I don't know what was happening because like I don't have any context at the time for this. But it's the idea of like, okay, you don't want to redo shit with Silence of the Lambs. Sure, it's that thing of like, okay, you only get that magical like movie moment of her walking down the steps with Doctor Chilton, and she walks down the corridor, and you have like all like the other in- like inmates like doing it, doing their thing. Like I can smell your insert your c word here. Um, <laughs> I'll let Rob say the c word. I can smell your cunt. Everybody's going to be okay. interested in how I work that into a performance review this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Lord, help me. But, like, you only get that type of, like, magical movie moment once. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of the greatest villain, like, introductions in, in cinematic history. It's it's Darth Vader level. It's, like, you, you only get one of those. And I get that. Like, they want, like, they want to do something different. But at the same time, though... Half the fun of Hannibal Lecter is the idea of him being this like caged animal. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in total agreement with you. That was what I was mentioning. Why Hannibal Rising doesn't fit because it's like we don't care who he was as a kid. I love the fact that he is a monster that has been caught, and they have to 
they have to go to him. You know, that that's the whole point of Silence of the Lambs is that just by coincidence, Buffalo Bill fucks up and kidnaps a senator's daughter, so they have to use every resource at their fingertips, and they have to use Hannibal Lecter. That's a great idea. I don't care if, you know, Nazi deserters ate his sister when he was younger. He's just, he's just a monster. Just let him be a monster. But but that's, but that's this is like the, the – I know I brought up on Cinematis numerous times. It's the idea that like – if you, like I know in Hannibal, the book, they flesh out some of his backstory. Yes. But the idea of Nazi deserters eating his sister, that is good set dressing. It doesn't need to be explored. Like it's one of those things where like you leave it at that. You, it's literally probably like half a chapter in the book. You mm-hmm. leave it alone. It doesn't need to be touched upon. Yeah, it's a and good a- flashback to like, you know, like you said, half a chapter, end a chapter and be like, oh, it does not need to be a revenge plot for a whole two hour, 10 minute movie. I totally agree with you. Sure. But the thing is, like with Hannibal, like the more it's it goes back to any sort of like villain slash antihero in a movie it's in not to bring this back to star wars again but it's the darth vader in rogue one mm-hmm. if you're going to use like hannibal lecter is one of those characters to bring this to saving silverman which we're going to talk about next week there's a reason why jack black says like the emperor says she's hannibal lecter yep it's like you've got to use villains i can't believe i'm referencing saving <laughs> silverman in this but like it's the idea that you got to use a villain that that's that powerful very sparingly. Absolutely. Very, very sparingly. And the moment you kind of take the chain off them, they become inherently less interesting. And that's the thing. It's like, I agree with you. Like, having him tied up in, in Gary Oldman's house might have been interesting, but I think you start to delve into the realm of this is not as interesting as Silence of the Lambs. Like, it's that thing of like, it's a very fine line you have to walk. And I think any sort of follow up to the movie not the book silence of the lambs would have been nearly impossible to make it satisfy because there's no way to do it it's almost you'd have to use hannibal so sparingly but at the same time give him such an impactful thing to do in his few moments of screen time that it, it would resonate it's it's that darth vader and rogue one thing you can only use him twice and that second time you use him you've got to make it the standout sequence of the movie and the problem is that it's kind of like what happens in Silence of the Lambs when he escapes from the holdings, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the giant cage they have him in. Yep. It had to be that dramatic of a sequence, and they already kind of used that in the first film, so to speak. Sure, sure. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I just kind of – I guess where I'm coming from is that in Hannibal, so much of the plot is motivated by Mason Verger, Gary Oldman in a meat costume, and then it, get, it goes nowhere. It literally goes nowhere, and I guess this is where I'll get into spoilers. I hated the fact of the movie that Clarice gets shot. Hannibal Lecter <laughs> She picks- shoots a drug woman – who has like hyper dirty needles in her hair? Yes. Well, that, that yes, that's that beginning is ridiculous with the baby and <laughs> know, thing. That, that beginning is so ridiculous. It's so dumb. And but the ending where where she gets shot, Hannibal Lecter picks her up. A bunch of wild boars come in. They don't attack Hannibal Lecter for no reason. In the movie, the book explains that the boars don't smell fear from him, so they don't attack him. Yeah, yeah. And then in the movie, Hannibal is just like Mason Verger's like. Oh, Hannibal, I'm going to get you. And Hannibal goes, hey, Mason Verger's doctor. Why don't you kill Mason Verger? And he goes, okay. And that's literally the end of that subplot. It goes nowhere. And there's not even any establishment that the doctor didn't like him. So I guess I want to say real quick, I did do a dive into the differences between Hannibal the novel and Hannibal the movie. This Mason Verger's death is fleshed out a lot more in the book. 
and I think you'll enjoy yes. where this goes, There's Zach. A, oh, oh, I know. Oh, oh okay. I know, Rob. Okay. I know, oh, I know where it goes. <laughs> I think our audience will enjoy this. <laughs> so in the but book— But once again, the reason—but but wait, but, 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 I want to preface sure, this real quick. Sure, sure. This is another instance of there was a lot of uh, homoerotic, yep. homosexual exactly. themes to this that they did. It's that early 2000s thing we talked about with Saving Silverman, Sugar and Spice, where everything was just so, oh, God, homophobic. They did everything in their power to strip these elements out. Absolutely. Of these absolutely. So, no, and, and you're right. And when I read more about the book, I was like, you know, okay, yeah, that's that's early 2000s. That's uh, what what they were going for. Had to strip that out, you know, or make it. The, the joke, the button joke at the end of a scene, like uh, with Arlie Ermey and Saving Silverman. Tune in next week. In in the book, <laughs> Mason Verger runs an orphanage, which I don't know why they let him do that, because he sexually abused children. But since he's all messed up after his Hannibal encounter, he can't sexually abuse the children anymore, so he instead calls the orphans to him while he's laying in bed to verbally abuse them. Apparently that is fleshed out in the book, and I'm like, that's really fucking weird. Um, but... <laughs> he has a sister named Margot Verger, who is a sterile lesbian bodybuilder who was raped by Verger as a child and now stays with him because he's promised her his sperm to impregnate her lover who will inherit the Verger fortune. It, it gets better, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> Repeat that again, please. Repeat that again for the audience at home. Margot Verger is a sterile lesbian bodybuilder who was raped by her, his, her brother, Mason Verger, as a child that now stays living with him because he's promised her his sperm to impregnate her lover who will inherit the Verger fortune. <laughs> And it, well, okay. it gets better, Zach. <laughs> Rob, can you believe that's something that you actually said out loud? Can you believe that? Like, it, like No, I was losing it when I was typing it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> continue, Rob. Margot Verger is the one who kills Gary Oldman Meat Soup Man in the book. Not the doctor, even though the doctor is a character. But she kills him by suffocating him with his pet eel, which we do get a shot of in the movie. But before the killing, she sodomizes him with a cattle prod that causes him to involuntary ejaculate so she can collect his sperm. Now, I got a quick question for you, Zach. Okay, I'm intrigued. Using a cattle prod to stimulate the prostate in a man apparently causes them to involuntarily ejaculate. This has also been in an episode of Zvu. This might be a real thing. I did not want to Google yeah. it, though. I did not want to Google it. Do you know you any more it? about No, I like I'm saying, I have heard, heard about it. this, I've but heard... only yeah, in media. I've, I've inv- uh, it's like any sort of prostate stimulation. Like, like uh, yeah, you can stimulate it. Like, it's, like anything. it's like any other muscle. I'm asking if you have any knowledge of this from other than, like, TV shows and movies. I... No, but I am aware in a medical sense that if you stimulate the prostate, it will cause that sort of reaction in a man. Like, I don't know a specific – it's like any muscle, I guess. If you stimulate it, there's many ways to stimulate a muscle, but I'm, no, I'm I've agreeing never heard of with you. Uh, but I, I would like I would like to know if – I would like to read a source Rob, about this from elsewhere, but what, I don't want it in my Google search history. <laughs> what Rob wants to know – Any doctors that, in the audience, email us. <laughs> Rob wants to be a fertility doctor, and all he wants to do is invest in a cattle prod. He figures it'll be a very uh, low barrier to entry for a field to if be a medical I doctor. I was making Hannibal, what I just <laughs> described would be the entire movie. <laughs> 
Like there would <laughs> there would be no Hannibal in Italy and all that stuff. It would focus completely on Mason Verger's verbally abusing kids while he's laying in bed, and then Hannibal just gets caught and shows up eventually as like a like a tertiary thing, and then we get the play out of Margot killing him and and sodomizing him with a cattle prod. That's where the movie should have went. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what they should have done is you cut the cattle prod out and just have him being sodomized by the electric eel. Like, it's, it's, it's two in one, man. Oh. You sodomize him, then you choke him with the electric eel. Like, come on. Dude, that gets redundant at a certain point. Like, come let on. Me, uh, let me make a note. Don't waste our that's time. A, that's a good idea for a <laughs> sketch for our three-year anniversary episode. Okay, good. <laughs> Oh, Hannibal. Goddamn Hannibal. No wonder, you know what's so funny? Like, remember when Fifty Shades of Grey came out? Everyone's like, oh my god! Yes. It's about, like, like stuff. It's like, folks, like, there's more weird-ass crap in this stuff from, like, <laughs> ten years earlier than it was ever in those books. Like, everyone freaked out because it was just, like, it wore its weirdness on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, People are weird what they get upset about. They really are. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that whole thing. Like, this was a huge bestseller. This was like, a, I think oh, it was sure. like the number one selling book in like 2000, like what? Or, I'm sorry, like 1999. Yep. yep. Like this wasn't an underground success by any like way, shape or me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. But this all I, I will. I think when we talk about the, the very end of this movie, I, I want to talk about the differences between the movie and the book again. But this all came from in the book, Mason Verger's death actually makes some sense there's an established reason why someone in his consortium of you know riches i guess we call it actually wants him dead not just hannibal going hey kill him okay i'll throw him into the pigs like it is so empty and vacuous and meaningless in the movie his death mason verger's death that i was just i i didn't like it at all it it was such a letdown so that that was one of my biggest issues i wanted more of mason verger i wanted to know why the doctor would want to kill him i'm fine with that change if you got to cut out the sister because she's a sterile lesbian bodybuilder and that wouldn't have flown for ridley scott in 2001 fine but at least give us some indication that the doctor resents mason verger because there is no setup for that i hate it <laughs> there's a little bit of setup there's a little bit of setup. The only that setup that I remember on, but... is when he's I like, know, "I know, can you go get Are me you my lunch?" Watch? <laughs> well, there's that, and like right before like the climb, that climax, we have the moment where he's like, "Are you going to watch Doctor?" And Doctor's like, "I prefer I would." He's like, "You will watch, bitch." And I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> that's it." It's five minutes before that happens. It's it's no good. At least give me anything. Give me a scene with like the Doctor and Clarice, where Clarice is talking to the Doctor just to get a sense well, okay, of what okay. she's walking I'm, into. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought her up because this is another issue with the movie, Hannibal. It's like that first movie, first as in Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> is that it's very much a movie between him and her. It's mm-hmm. this weird sort of like bristly, like, oh God, friction between their like relationship oh absolutely because i think jonathan demi knows that that movie or that adaptation of that book is a lot about that relationship and there's there's a feeling of empathy from the filmmaker even though it's a very weird relationship there's something there so i yes. I, I totally get where you're coming there's from. a connection there yes this movie like is demi. hannibal's a bad god. dude <laughs> no the problem is that like it's it's oh god i'm trying to think of i only i honestly cannot think of another example like this is that Hannibal is such a side character in like the, like what Manhunter, I'm, yes. I'm sorry, Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs, and then like he blows up in popularity because of the movie, and they're like, well, we can't just do red. Like, that's the thing. Like it bled. Like 
the popularity of the character bled into the universe yes. of, of, the, of those characters living. And it's kind of like, imagine if you see a movie, I'm trying to think, of, I can't think of a good example. I guess the only other example I could give of this is like what happened with Friday the 13th, where the first movie was just about this thing. And start, and so like it started to blow up into like other characters. Oh sure. But like it's imagine, it's like imagine if somebody. It was like the um. Oh god. Ah, the best example I can think of, and it's gonna be a really bad example, is like imagine if Heath Ledger didn't kill himself. That after the Dark Knight comes out, they're like, we're gonna make a Joker movie. Yeah. Yep. That, yeah, that's a that's a, a good example of you know let's take this thing that the supporting character. That blew up in popularity and then just doubled down on it, that type of thing. That's – and that's the problem with yes. not just like, – I can't speak to the book. But like when it comes to the movie, that's what the thing is. Like Hannibal is the sell, like the sellable character. And that's why like Jonathan – that's when like Jonathan Demi and Jodie Foster like read this and they're like, fuck no. <laughs> and Anthony Hopkins was – and Anthony Hopkins is like, how many zeros are in the check? Yes. And he's like, yes. <laughs> and that's like – and that's what it is, is that like it's the Hannibal show. Absolutely. But the problem is, like the movie, the movie doesn't know what to do. Is that like sometimes it's focused on Gary Oldman and Meat Suit. Other times it's focused on like Clarice Starling. Other times we go like we go at one point we go like forty five minutes in the movie without Clarice Starling, mm-hmm. and I, I, we we cut back to her. And I'm like, oh yeah, she's still in this. I completely forgot about her. Yeah, there is an extended part of the plot where Clarice Starling is literally just sitting in her basement office. Waiting for the Italian police to send her a videotape of a perfume yes. store security camera, like she's just waiting. Yes. <laughs> there, it's like honest to God truth. That is that you're not wrong. That's a hundred percent what it is. Yeah, and then because she dis, you're right. And I just want to explain that further. If if anybody is still listening and has not seen Hannibal, we get the scene of the Italian detective who is literally just, his character name is Italian Detective. He sees the, like, VHS copy of the security camera being made and then takes it because he sees the uh, Dr. Fell, I think is what Hannibal's going by in Italy, who is somehow related to some case the Italian detective is working on. And then Clarice is not in the movie, and it turns out because Italian Detective took the copy of the security camera, and when Clarice comes back in, it's her calling another Italian Detective going, I didn't get the tape yet. And he goes, I'll send it again, I guess. Like, that's our fucking plot beat for Clarice. It's ridiculously stupid. I know. I know. know. And then she becomes the fulcrum of the ending. And it's like... (laughs) Like that's like the, the movie doesn't know what it has to do. Like that's the problem. So this is a movie that is a hundred percent rudderless, and the only sort of like steering it has is Hannibal Lecter. That's yes. it. Yep. yep. And, he, and the thing that made him the most and the most interesting aspect of him being behind glass is now gone. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's it. It's it, it's literally it's the definition of misguided. And it goes to show that like Jonathan Demi and Jodie Foster for the most part got it. Like Anthony Hopkins, like he like he gets. He gets he deserves a lot of credit, but at the same time, no, I think that would have been a very, very different performance if like Jonathan Demi and to a certain degree Jodie Foster didn't rein him in. Not even rein him, but just kind of corral him. Sure, sure. Because if you look at like it's really, it's really interesting. Like I, I, I was telling Rob before we started recording, like I did a lot of like research on this on the production of Silence of the Lambs, and one of the things is that like apparently again Rob knows this, but. Like, like Gene Hackman originally wanted to be uh, Hannibal Lecter. He, yep. like, he bought the rights for this, 
and like everybody like he eventually bowed out like a lot of people like just turned this down like pretty much everybody didn't want to do this either because they were too busy or because they found it too dark of material mm -hmm. and and jonathan demi won anthony hopkins because of his performance in the elephant man and he's like wouldn't it be great to see the other side of this actor is, is like an evil character like what would like if if um Oh god, what's his character's name in Elephant Man? Oh, Doctor if, if what is it, it Treves? Trip Trip? I, I forget. I think it's sure, Treves. I sure, think that's that, how it's that, pronounced. Yeah. T R E sure. V E S, I'm pretty sure. It's the idea that if that is Dr. Jekyll, what would be the Mr. Hyde persona yeah. of Anthony Hopkins be from that film? And it's like that's great. Like that's clever. That's outside the box thinking. And like and then like Jodie Foster always wanted to be Clary Starling and just wouldn't go away. And you're like, okay, and there's a, apparently there was a lot of just Initial friction between Demi and Jodie Foster because it was like, okay, Jodie Foster didn't trust Jonathan Demi, and Jonathan Demi kind of had to begrudgingly allow Jodie Foster in this film. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, and apparently that sort of just friction helped make a good product because everybody was on their on their game. Everybody was trying to kind of outdo each other. Yeah, and that's the thing. And if you look, and it's funny how like in, in some of these behind the scenes featurettes, even like dating back to like. 1991 when this film was coming out like they asked anthony hopkins like oh like how'd you prepare for this role and it's like did you do any research he's like no like i believe like everything is in the, like in the text of the script like yeah. everything is there it's just a matter of just deciphering it and then like i found like a like a thing that apparently jodie foster and anthony hopkins did like in the last three weeks where like it's like a skype phone call where they're talking about the film and like jodie foster is asking him a question about a movie he just made in the last year and she's like, well, how'd you prepare for this? And he's like, yeah, I don't really prepare for movies that way. Like, I believe everything is just kind of there. You just have to kind of go through it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, that's like literally 30 years later, the guy still subscribes to the same acting model. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Say say what you will about Anthony Hawkins being like a paycheck actor for the last 20 years. But like, you got to give him credit for consistency. <laughs> um, sure. But but that's the thing, though, is that like I, I don't think there's that level of depth. And I don't think Ridley Scott is that sort of filmmaker – He's a visual filmmaker. He's not particularly good at directing actors okay. unless they have a good idea of what they already is that they're doing. And I think that's the thing. Like, really, like, it's funny. We were talking about Blank Check in their series. Wouldn't Blank Check be really fun to the entire series on Ridley Scott's career? Like, I get it. That's like 800 movies. That's like probably like <laughs> two or three years worth of movies. Yeah. But, like, he's the perfect director because, like, he pretty much ever since what? Blade Runner has been given Blank Checks? Absolutely, yeah. And and that's the thing, Ron. Well, Rob, maybe the 2022 uh, fort year might be Ridley Scott. Oh my god! I mean, we we what we did? So we did Blade Runner, we did Alien, Alien? Prometheus, and Alien Covenant. Yeah, we done. We done. And then the I think is and Matchstick Men is on the Patreon. So so we've done a we've you done a, like ten percent of Ridley Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've done like six of his movies, and that's maybe ten percent. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, though, is that like I, I would like Ridley Scott is like. This is going to sound really bad, but he's kind of like Brett Ratner without the bad touching. Okay, okay. <laughs> and that's what he is. He just like – he doesn't – like he, he will push back on a studio, but the problem is that like he's kind of insane. Yes. Yeah, and definitely. not in the good way. <laughs> and he's insane but not in the good way. And that's like I don't know like everything about Hannibal just doesn't work. Like Julianne Moore sucks in this movie. Like yeah, she's she is, just like and, and, and she's a I, good actress. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we loved her in uh, Evolution from way back when. <laughs> same year, same year. Yeah, Rob. that's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, it's she's very much underutilized in the um, waiting for the videotape that we described. But she's then not she's not given anything to do. And that's then the she's literally, she literally has half asleep in that last scene. Like literally in the movie, she is half asleep. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I, I don't get it, though. Like, literally everything about this movie, like, the whole time I'm watching this movie, it's frustrating. Sure. Like, everything is, everybody in this movie is bad. Like, I, there's only brief moments where it's interesting. And it's like, I just don't know how you could screw this up. I just, like, like I'm watching this being like, you have an audience that's primed for this. Like, I get it. You're not going to get another Silence of the Lambs out of this. Like, you have to concede that. You're not going to, like, it'd be yeah. a miracle. Because Ridley Scott, like, has he ever done, a, like, I guess, what, Prometheus and, and Alien Covenant are sequels. Yes. But, like, but I, I just, I don't think he's a good sequel director. He's he's really good. He's not, he, what is, he's from that same camp as George Lucas. He's probably a better producer in the sense that he has really interesting ideas, but he needs someone else to kind of just, like, flesh them out and peel back, like, the, like, what, the layer, like, kind of the rough edges. Definitely. And then, and that's the thing, is... Because there's nothing about this movie that works. There's nothing. Like, even the parts of the movie that are, like, kind of, like, entertaining, like, when he disembowels Italian Man, and when he, like, like what, cuts open Liotta's head, those yes. are neat moments. He does not get but feared they're in that well, <laughs> Fear me. <laughs> but... <laughs> But like those moments are only fun because of the shock value. Exactly. They're not fun yeah. because of their cut. They're not fun because of the moment in the film. Like you could you could very easily take those moments out. Oh, oh, hundred percent. And then I think even the the scene that stood out to me where he was trying, maybe I don't know Ridley Scott the movie was trying to recreate that stuff between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice when they're on the phone together and they're like walking through Union Station in D.C. and he's like on the carousel, touches her hair. I'm like, this makes no sense. Like this does not fit. With what I think of these characters, and and I just took that as like a bad attempt at recreating their relationship from Silence of the Lambs, a failed attempt, I would yeah. say. Yeah, and then you have Hannibal Lecter, who's this mastermind genius, and he gets outwitted by a couple of Italian goons with a stun gun. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, like at that moment, I literally wanted to just take the remote and chuck it at the screen. I'm just like, no, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, I forgot about. Like, I know he gets captured, mm -hmm. but like, I didn't remember how. And I'm like, okay, like, how are they gonna do this? How are you gonna? And like, after. All the stuff that we see him after all these like mastermind plans that he's gone through, we've seen he literally just gets tased in the back, and that's the end of yep, it. He gets sodomized with a cattle prod, <laughs> involuntarily <laughs> ejaculates, and then gets taken to Mason Berger. <laughs> if only, if only. I know, and that—that's why I think I agree with you. That moment is so infuriating for that reason. It comes off this this bad scene of them talking to each other on the phone, and then he just gets captured. Like, you know, like, he's just, he's, a, like, he gets captured by goons, like he said, and I, I just want more setup, like, give me anything, like, I wanted there to be something he's like, aha, this was my plan all along, because I knew that your doctor hated you, and it's like, no, he literally just fucks up and gets caught, he doesn't even fuck up, he's just walking and gets, like you said, just tased, it, it's no good. It's, it's dumb. It's so, <laughs> so dumb. And the thing is, they spend so little time on that. But they spend so much goddamn time on that scene where Italian detective gets the pickpocket to try and get a fingerprint from him. <laughs> like, that scene is so fucking long. And then at the climax of the movie, when things should actually, like, have time to breathe, it's like, yeah, he gets tased and thrown into a van. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, and then th that's the other thing about this movie. It, the, the juxtaposition of those two scenes make no sense because the whole pickpocket scene, Lecter clearly knows he's being followed and he's able to adapt in mm -hmm. that situation and kill the, he like fucking 
stabs that dude in the crotch and he bleeds everywhere into Italian detective man's hands. Well, but then well, I'm just going to say, Rob, yeah. I, ha- I have an idea as to ha- what much like Dr. Sleep <laughs> and what the recommendation is to that. I've got an idea for what my recommendation Perfect. is for this movie. Perfect. Put a little earmark there. That's that's Zach's. That's Zach's, okay. I like Rob. that. That is I like mine. That. But apparently Hannibal Lecter in Italy at the beginning of the movie is is like you said mastermind that can tell he's being followed can adapt can take out this person following him he doesn't know why he just knows he needs to take him out compared to oh i got distracted by this carousel and couldn't realize that the people who've been chasing me the whole movie and hired italian detective that i even ran into in the library that he worked at in Italy, I couldn't tell that they were following me. And they ended up sodomizing me with a cattle prod. Oops! It makes no sense. There is no reason that these two scenes should exist in the same movie. For the record, there is no sodomizing with a cattle prod. That's... We're going to do a new Cinemodities produced Hannibal film, and it's going to focus on (laughs) cattle prod sodomization. (laughs) I would love to remake this film. I would love to. I go, somebody, I, oh God, this is still such a waste of potential. Yes, this absolutely. is just I, like this is probably like I said, it, it's the closest thing to I felt since Doctor Sleep. And just be like, it's so wasted. Like you have this like a follow up to goddamn Silence of the Lambs, and you goddamn just like and I get it. Part of it is the source material's fault, mm-hmm. but based on what Jonathan Demi was able to do adapting it, you could have you could have fixed a lot of the problems, even for like early two thousands audiences. You could have. Still had that edge, and y- you could have made it interesting without being stupid. Like this is just a stupid movie. Like this would have been one of those movies. Like I like I don't know. Like what that's like, this one thing too, Rob. Maybe you found this in your research. There's not a lot. I, I know people still worship at the ground of Silence of the Lambs. Oh yeah. But have you found any sort of like like opinions of people on this film? Like, like, what is the what is the popular consensus on this? It, it seems to have what? been forgotten. I couldn't find a lot. You know, I feel like it. It, um, it, like you said, lives in the shadow of Silence of the Lambs and is just kind of like seen as meh. You know, forgotten. I think is what I found. In, I couldn't find in, anything in big. Inferior about sequel. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Inferior sequel. Like, and I get. I, I guess. I guess that's the best case scenario. Is that it's forgotten. Mm-hmm. It should be. I mean, there's no substance to it i mean unless like we said the, like the ending the last two scenes the shock factor that's the the only thing that drew well, my only, attention yeah again the only interesting scene i genuinely liked in this movie is the flashback we get to hannibal lecter and this is the closest the movie flirts with homoeroticism with gary oldman not in a meat costume and he's like he gave me drugs and told me to like cut my face off with like a broken shard of a mirror yep. it seemed like a good idea at the time and hannibal lecter feeds it to the dogs <laughs> that was that a really good line where he's scene- like it seemed like a good idea at the time and i'm like that's that's probably accurate (laughs) yeah that's the best scene in the whole movie and it lasts what a grand total of 90 seconds 90 seconds of course it's shot in weird early 2000s flashback vision with shaky cam and blur motion blur and you know it's it's, i i agree with you that was interesting uh that was definitely one where i was like oh he convinced him to cut off his own face and then he fed some of the pieces to uh verger's dogs yeah because that's the thing is that like oh like I was sentenced to like like to his what where you want to call it when you become like uh, what's it called I was sentenced to be a patient of his because of the crimes I committed yeah yeah it's like okay and that's great like like that's like to me that and I guess that is where the Hannibal TV show comes from and that they're like okay like 
if we are going to do Hannibal, it's more fun to watch him just kind of, it's kind of like, like a, a riff on the Dexter thing of like, mm-hmm. oh, serial killer, both the heart of gold, but maybe in this case, maybe instead of gold, it's brass. <laughs> and I sure. find, I find that that's an interesting concept for a show. But from what I've heard about that Hannibal TV show is that the season three is the one that does the Hannibal book. And that's when it just went like off the rails. And oh, I'm just like, okay. oh, God, this is, this is garbage. Okay. And that's why I got canceled because like the show just like became horrible because they started adapting trash. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I do like that scene, the backstory of Verger. I just like Gary Oldman in the meat costume. That's a very interesting thing to look at. Um, even the opening scene. It is. It's different. Yeah, the opening scene with him and Frankie Faison where it just hard cuts to his face close up all disfigured and it's like, whoa, like they don't even do a reveal. It's just in your, right there in your face. But that's the thing that – okay. It's Rob knows I have a very, very big issue with like human disfigurement. Very, very big <laughs> issue with it. Like that's like the only thing that scares me. Sure. And this was a, a couple of weeks ago. Like I don't think I've ever told this story on the podcast. I don't know if I've ever told Rob this story before. Do you remember the monk the, the, the monkey? Do you remember the woman that was like maimed by the monkey? Like oh, in Connecticut. Remember that? Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember my very loose connection to all that? I don't think so. That the image okay. of the before and after of that facial transplant surgery is burned in my memory though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, I know. That's what you uh, Oh, I'm taking that picture. I'm putting that on our VHS thing and making that the cover art. No, please no. <laughs> please no. Please no. Mason Virgin no, God, or no. true disfigurement victim. <laughs> Somehow, Gary Gary Oldman in a meat costume is not even a fraction as bad as that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, reality, truth is worse than fiction every single time. Um, no, this is about – okay. Anyway, though, getting back to the point of all of this was that that woman's brother, when we – I my family first moved to New York, we rented an apartment from him. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard that. Yeah. Super, super loose connection, but that's my connection to all that. It's like when that happened, like my mother's cousins who was neighbor with – was neighbor with him. was like, oh, yeah, you know that was his sister? And we're like, oh, okay. (laughs) The more you know. That's an interesting fact. (laughs) Yes. And this is is why I kind of want Rob to – to youtube search right now he doesn't have to Uh-oh. watch this one go on youtube and type in fascinating horror and then type in the word nash because there's a youtube thumbnail i want you to look at relax it's not it's okay I'm type, I, I'm what happened was this red pit hit by cars meet joe black <laughs> that's what we're doing right anthony hopkins yes is in that yes <laughs> yes yes okay it was fascinating I... horror and then what and Hannibal the Cannibal. It's fascinating horror. Then type in Nash N A S H. Okay. Tell me if you get the thing of like the person wearing the hat with like the beads on it. Oh yeah, with like the veil thing in front of the face. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep the that story in of keep Travis keep... the Chimp. <laughs> That's what it's titled. Indeed. Yes. So this is what I would because okay, a couple weeks ago I got really big into that YouTube channel and that video came on and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> and but what I found. As I was watching Hannibal and we get introduced to Gary Oldman in a meat costume so fast, I'm like, there's no dramatic 
Like, there's no tension here. There's no suspense. And wouldn't it have been great that every scene we see him in the movie, or his characters involved with in the movie, we see him in a moment like that where we have him, like, shrouded in shadows. He has some sort of, like, hat, like a very unique-looking hat with a veil on it. And then it's not until when Clarice starring uh, Starling goes to interview him and he turns the light on. That's our first introduction to him being deformed. Wouldn't that have been great to kind of just, like, much like how they did to Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs, where you keep hearing about this character, you literally watch the characters kind of travel to the depths of this hospital, or I guess prison, and you see him there, and it's this big, long, dramatic reveal. Wouldn't it have been great if we had that in this? And it's like, nope, in the first, like, three minutes of the movie, we see this, and it's over. Like, it blows its wad straight out of the gate. Sure. It's like what we talked about with, you know, well, Ridley Scott, with Alien, you know, the reveal of the of the creature, of course, of the alien, you know. So I totally get where you're coming from. I don't know if I would like that better, but I totally took this opening scene with this just, you know, instant show off of the disfigured face as trying to subvert exactly what they you just described that they did in silence with the reveal of Hannibal. That that doesn't work long. Like, that's a short-term goal. It's not a long-term goal. Absolutely. That's the thing about, like, yeah. the movies. It's like you can make a movie for the moment, and sure, it gets you like a seventy million dollar opening, which was absurd in two thousand one for an R rated movie. Like, like I think Hannibal had like the highest like opening weekend gross for like an R rated movie. I think until like Deadpool. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Which like talk about holding on to a record for like a de- a decade and a half. Yeah. Which is, like, bonkers when you think about that <laughs> but like like i get that like you, you get your shock value like again it's kind of like a win is a win but like this movie has no staying power and i think a moment like that would have helped like if you draw it out intentionally so oh sure methodically so i think it would have given the film more resonance later on down the road because at the end of the day like you look at Silence of the Lambs, juxtapose, take that, Ben. It's Ben's fault. Ben's the reason why I can't say that word in front of him. <laughs> um, to Hannibal. And, like, there's no mustache-twirling villain in Silence of the Lambs. Nobody is mustache-twirling. Yeah. And yet yeah. in this, almost everybody is mustache-twirling. Like, Ray Liotta is mustache-twirling. It's Fear me. A, yep. a Gary Oldman, a meat costume. <laughs> Gary Oldman in a meat costume is, is mustache twirling. <laughs> Hannibal is even like mustache twirling in moments at this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet you don't have that. Like this is like it's so weird. Like I can't think of it's this is almost like as if nobody involved with this film understood what made the first film so powerful. A- absolutely. And I, I get what you're saying for the staying power idea. I mean, it's even mentioned in the documentary for Silence of the Lambs that we watched where Hannibal's entrance, he's completely still, the camera like he doesn't enter frame the camera like goes over to him um and it is it is a very memorable moment you know of course i think there's a lot of those memorable moments of you know introductions and big scenes of hannibal in silence of the lambs where here you're absolutely right it's just like nope here's disfigured face right at you where's hannibal what's his reveal he's just sitting at a table with a bunch of other historians discussing dante alighieri and it seems like you know they were trying to do something different from silence that, like you said, doesn't give it staying power. It, it's different almost for the sake of being different, not for any reason to actually, you know, mean something, I think, is what I'm getting at. They're trying to they're trying to appease a contemporary audience. They're not thinking down the road. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's 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 very, what's the word, narrow-minded. It's kind of like instead of making a movie, it's kind of, I'm sorry, how you rephrase this. Instead of like painting on a canvas, you're painting through a keyhole. Mm, okay. You're just kind of you're just kind of doing it because like okay, 
But that's the thing too. Like, like Ridley Scott is so weird. Like he's the definition again. He's Brett Ratner without the bad touch. <laughs> and I just wonder, did he take this because he wanted to do it, or because it was just something to do? Sure, sure. Like did he want this just to say like, okay, I did this, or because he wanted to tell this story. Yeah, and I mean, also something I, I think we should mention is that when when this uh, when Harris wrote the novel, when they wanted to turn it into a movie, and then nobody returns except uh, Frankie Faison and Anthony Hopkins, Dino De Laurentiis. We we have to mention that Dino De Laurentiis has produced all of the Hannibal movies except Silence of the Lambs, and it was a great story to read where. He produces Manhunter. Manhunter bombs, even though it's a Ben Affleck's birthday movie and should not have bombed in 1986, and also a wonderful movie. When they go to make Silence of the Lambs, Dino De Laurentiis is like, don't do it. Don't make this movie. It's a, it's a sinkhole of cash. It becomes a huge hit, wins every fucking Oscar in existence, it seems. Not even in the year it came out, but for years later, they're like, okay, you know, Silence of the Lambs came out a year ago, but we're going to give it another award. It was so good. <laughs> And then he's like, well, fuck me. I got to make another one. Got to do Hannibal. Got to do Red Dragon. Got to do Hannibal Rising. So I definitely think it's part of Dino De Laurentiis being like, who can I get to do this? And he landed on Ridley Scott for some reason. Ridley. Yeah. Because Ridley Scott, much like Brett Ratner, would do exactly what he's told. Yep. And then Peter Weber, I think, is the guy who directed Hannibal Rising. And it's only his like, oh, second that, film or something. Yeah. That's not a movie, Rob. That's not a movie. That's a fever dream. <laughs> it's, I don't know, man. I, I think Hannibal should be a samurai, don't you? What's <laughs> <laughs> well, not the like, right? Oh, um, but I think that's a yeah, big part is yeah. the Dino De Laurentiis going like, man, I fucked up with silence, so I need to do the next thing. You know, I need to take these, keep these rights as much as I can. And it's, I think that adds to that misguidedness that you were getting at with this film. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's what it is. I guess they, I guess uh, Ridley Scott did the best job he could with what he had. Yeah. So I guess I was giving the benefit of the doubt, but again, but even like Julianne Moore sucks in this. Yes, absolutely. Like, Underutilized. Every, and even... then when she's actually there, it's, it's not a good thing. Speaking of Julianne Moore, I had to, I, I went into, um, as we like to discuss, the bastion of truth known as IMDb trivia for this movie. And there was a, <laughs> there was a, a thing in there. One of the IMDb, IMDb trivia facts was very terse, and it said, Julianne Moore is afraid of cows. This caught my attention because there is a scene in Hannibal where Julianne Moore knows that Mason Verger has kidnapped and sodomized Hannibal Lecter with a cattle prod, so she's going to save him and stop Verger. And she has to drive through cows. And in my notes, I go, that's pretty funny. Like, it has nothing to do with the movie. They just have a shot of, like, Julianne Moore in a car having to, like, honk at cows. And I'm like, that's I, that made me chuckle. And then I read this IMDb <sighs> trivia fact that says she's afraid of cows. And I'm like, okay, I have to dig into this uh, because this is just a very oh strange God. thing to be on there. And so, apparently, Julianne Moore in real life is afraid of cows. I found an interview with her from 2001 in something called The Morning Call. And this is what she says in that interview. Quote, Cows don't move. I drove out into this field and saw all these calves and thought, Oh no. Sure enough, all the mothers turned around and stared at me. I was literally in tears because I was so terrified. I looked over at the crew, and they were all doubled over with laughter. So literally, <laughs> Julianne Moore is sincerely afraid of cows in real life, and filming that scene was the scariest thing to her about this movie. And I was like, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
if anybody meets Julianne Moore in real life, moo at her. <laughs> <laughs> moo at her for making this movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I thought that was crazy. But that the the bad thing about this movie and her performance in it is that what I just described, that behind the scenes factoid, is infinitely more interesting than any part of her performance. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. So this, I think this whole tangent, uh, not tangent, but this part of the discussion came from when I brought up that first scene, which which was interesting to me because of that reveal, that quick cut to the disfigured face, that shock value. The other scene that I think Zach is well aware that I'm, I have some strange affection for, interest in, is the very last scene where Hannibal Lecter says you should always try new things and feeds brain to a child on an airplane. <laughs> yes. Ray Liotta's brains, fear me. That's a very, very strange thing to see. And I have to say, it was pretty interesting to watch. (laughs) In my notes, I'm just like, holy fuck, that happened. That's great. That's great. No, that's the best part. That is one of the best parts of the whole movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, that also, it's uh, led up to by Hannibal Lecter cutting out part of Ray Liotta's brain, fear me, and feeding it to, cooking it and feeding it to him, which is also pretty interesting. But like we said, it's that shock factor. And you don't want that, I think, from a movie. The things you remember shouldn't just be the shock factor, but that's what we got. Yep, that's it. Otherwise, you have to watch uh, Julian Moore shoot a woman in the chest. And then also the is the implication the implication at the end is that he cut his own hand off, right, to get away because Julian yeah. Moore has both her hands. Yeah, his arms in a sling on the uh, airplane. I that's what I didn't like. I would have loved to see like a stump, you know, like a bandaged stump. Instead, we never see his his uh, left hand. We just see his um in a sling. So, I mean, I eh, guess you need it. I know, but I mean, like, a sling doesn't really track with me. If he had to cut off his hand, sure, you wouldn't want to move your arm too much, but the way it's played is that he had to, like, break his wrist or something to get it out of the handcuff. But it clearly is that he cut it off. Yeah. I don't know. I wanted more shock, Zach. I wanted him to literally, like, have a bandaged <laughs> stump poking at Ray Liotta's brains before he feeds it to the kid. Fear me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! So Zach, can we please I have talk to... about that opening with the? Can we please oh, okay, talk about okay. that opening with the woman with the kid? Can yes. we please yes. talk we'll, about we'll that? We'll do that, and then we'll go back goofy. to the ending because I do want to talk about the difference between the ending in the book and the movie. But that opening scene, once again, I think it is a a failed attempt at trying to be Silence of the Lambs, because of course, as I'm sure we'll discuss more, a big part of Silence of the Lambs is. Clarice Starling is a woman in a man's world. Like, that's a huge part of her FBI story in in that movie. This movie starts with trying to do that, where she shows up and she's like, this is how we're going to get this criminal. And I think the character's name is Bolton, who's like some local cop or something. He's like, listen, bitch, you're a woman. You can't run an operation. And I'm like, holy shit, like, there's no subtlety in this. And then she's like... Well, no, I've dealt with this person before. She's got HIV. She'll bite you. She'll bleed on you. Don't touch her because she has needles literally coming out of her skin. And I'm like, this movie is trying to do way too much in two minutes as it starts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I need something to focus on. And then they're just like, okay, here we go. We're going to start the operation. Everybody's in their places. The, the, The car shows up to pick her up. This woman who's made of HIV needles comes out. She has a baby (laughs) with her. And they're like, don't go. She has a baby. And the guy's like, it's a woman. I can kill any woman, even if she has a baby. And then everybody gets murdered except for 
Clarice Starling, it seems. And I'm like, what yep. is going on right now? And then Clarice Starling's in a basement, not because that operation got botched up, because she's just been in a basement since the Silence of the Lambs, it seems. Yeah. Ray Liotta, fear me, tries to fuck her. I think in one scene, he's like, hey, Clarice, you want to have sex? And she's like, not really. And he's like, mm, okay, I'll take that as a yes. <laughs> It's so, no, it's he so goes, all over the place. He gets no. We have another mo- no. There's a, no. You gotta elaborate on that for a second because there's <laughs> a moment where she's in the basement. He like and he's like like watching like what because Hannibal sends her a drawing. And it's a woman topless. And oh, she's like <laughs> put a post-it note on top of it, and he's like ogling like the drawing of the boobies, and she like kicks like a trash can over. And he jumps, and then like she's like he's like you shouldn't do that, bitch. And like they go back and forth, and she's like I know you're responsible for like putting me down here. And he's like well. Not my fault that you rejected my sexual advances. <laughs> and it's like, unless you want to bang right now. And it's like, what is going on? Even the, uh, the isn't, there's like the male, the the FBI male worker that wants to have sex with her too, that like brings her mail in a few scenes. And yeah. he's like giving her eyes and stuff. And she's like, you know, man, I really got fucked up from that case 10 years ago. And they're like, oh, that's cool. You're a woman though. So clearly that doesn't matter. And we should have sex. And I'm just like, they're <laughs> trying way too hard. Like Silence of the Lambs did it fine. Even though I don't really care for that subplot, we get her shorter than all the men in the elevator at the beginning and then we have her saying it matters what you say to jack crawford in the car i'm like that's all you need that's perfect that's subtlety i get it here it's like hey clarice i got a penis you got a vagina you know what that means and it's like just laid on so thick that's but that's the one thing i'll say they're consistent with is that like (laughs) literally apparently in both movies she's the only woman in existence yes ain't ain't that because every man Every single man wants to have sex with her. It's like, 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 A, she, oh, I'm not going to say what I was going to say, but like, it's the, A, redacted, B, <laughs> also redacted. It's just that, like, come on. Like, I, again, in Silence of the Lambs, I get it because that was a pretty new theme to introduce. Like, the idea that, like, a woman could sit there, like, do all that stuff. Like, I, I that I respect. But by like, 10 years later, man, it's like she still has like that. Like, and that's the thing. In the first movie, she doesn't have a chip on her shoulder about it. She doesn't like it, but she doesn't have a chip on her shoulder. In yeah. the second movie, that's her entire character mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. the last 15 minutes. Well, Zach, I think this actually is a, a good way to go into. Do you know how the book Hannibal ends? Oh, I do, Rob. Okay, I do. So this, this it's is... much more of a satisfying ending than the movie. So this is, I think, from what we were saying, how Clarice is the only woman in the universe in this series— uh, I guess also in, in Red Dragon and Manhunter, there is a woman, but she's blind and has sex with the killer. So, you know, she's yes. not, not a good woman, I guess. I don't know really That's how, a- <laughs> that, you know, that uh, uh, she's like a, <laughs> such a non-character in, in Red Dragon. She's more of a, an interesting character in, not even in Manhunter, because she just becomes, oh, she has to be saved at the end type of thing. But But anyway, the book Hannibal ends with... Uh, Hannibal, like, helps Clarice through her trauma. There's more detail I read, but it was so uninteresting. And then (laughs) she voluntarily has sex with Hannibal. They literally go off into the walk into the sunset to become lovers. And the final scene of the Hannibal book is the Dark Knight Rises ending, where for some reason Frankie Faison Barney sees them together in Buenos Aires. (laughs) 
That's how it ends. Why and, not? And from what I read, I, of course, as I mentioned before, I don't think I actually mentioned, I have not read any of these books. From what I read about the ending, the sex scene in the book about uh, between Clarice and Hannibal, the narration says something along the lines of, Clarice just needed a good fucking. Like, it is played very misogynistically, from what I've read. Where it's just like, how does she get over her trauma? She goes through therapy with Hannibal, and then just needs a dick. And it's very strange. And I'm like, okay, that's, oh my a, God. that's a choice, I guess. <laughs> okay, I have a question, Rob. But you want to say, I think it's by today's standards and maybe even 20 years ago standards, having that ending, the book ending, would be infinitely more shocking than feeding a child human brains. Oh, absolutely. I've, like, I've... That's, where we, that's where we are in the culture right now. <laughs> that somehow feeding a child another man's brains is much more subtle and conducive than the idea of after all this woman's been through, all she needs is some counseling and a good dicking. It's, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. We live, in, we, we live in the worst timeline, don't yep, we, Rob? Yep, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Jeez, I'm now even thinking we about that the last... We went too many times. Oh, definitely. I'm thinking about we, that scene. That's what happens. The brain at dinner scene, there's some line where, like, Ray Liotta, he, he's got his head cut open so he can't say, fear me, so he's saying other things. And I think he even said, like, like Clarice is like, don't do it, Hannibal. I'm on all these fucking drugs, but I'm still like, no, you're a bad guy. Don't do it. And Ray Liotta says something like, I had plans for that smart mouth, but I'm not going to hire you now. Like, they even throw in sexism again at the end when yeah. he has, like, yeah. no frontal even, lobe. <laughs> even when he's lobotomized, he's still a misogynistic horn dog. <laughs> it's so fucking terrible. It's so it – it's, it's it like – literally, it's like this movie is so – it's like an incredibly thin slice of bread, but there's like six sticks of butter on top. Like it is so <laughs> it is so off balance with what it should be that it's it's horrendous. It's it's goofy. It's oh goofy. Oh god. But I mean, you know, feed feed a kid some brains and I don't I think even if you cook brains, it's still not safe to eat. Like you'll get some disease. So good for that kid and good for Is the that animal. True? I think Is that so. True? I, I I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's what I've heard. Like you can't you shouldn't eat brain ever. I why? I do you like, want to do this live or should I do a correction? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just curious is all. Okay, I said earlier I don't <laughs> like, want anything about cattle prod sodomization in my Google history, but I am about to Google can you eat human brain? Because that's that's okay. <laughs> no, 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 not if you can eat human brain. What are the consequences and what are the after effects? <laughs> <laughs> it's called plausible deniability. Rob. Now, now I'm just imagining. It didn't do this, but I would love to type into "Can you eat human brain?" into Google, and it says, "Did you mean may you eat human brain?" <laughs> <laughs> the immediate response from Google is, "Eating other humans can make you sick. Specifically, eating the brain of another human being can cause kuru, a brain disease that's similar to mad cow disease." <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. I'm getting my. I'm getting the answer I wanted. There's a YouTube video that pops up. Yeah, uh, there's a Vice that. article titled "Why You Should Skip the Brain If You Eat Your Friends." <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna you know. Now I'm gonna. Can you eat cooked human brain? Well, who, who's eating raw human brain? Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an option, right? <laughs> Uh, most of the most of the responses are the same. <laughs> like that Vice article pops up again, and the same Kuru thing pops up. 
Oh, God. So I don't know. On top of being the worst timeline, this is the strangest timeline. <laughs> From Inverse.com in 2015, there's an article titled, Is it possible to be a healthy cannibal? <laughs> 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 who, who wrote this? Uh, it's from inverse. Oh my god, I clicked on it. Inverse.com. And literally, the picture at the top of the article is Anthony Hopkins in the Hannibal mask. Why? Because why, why would it be? Exactly. Anything else? Exactly. Okay, okay. Oh god. This is, this is great. I'm going to save this article. Oh my, oh my god. Okay, okay, no. I, I, I'm just scrolling down. There's, there's like little parts of the, the article that have like titles. So there's the intro. And then there's the picture of Hannibal next to Ray Liotta. Uh, it says fear me on it, I swear. But then there's a part of the article titled Hunt Safely. The next part of the article is titled Cook Thoroughly. And then the next part of the article is titled Don't Eat Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay, I will put a link to this Perfect. article in the show notes because this is what everybody needs to see. Well, there's a section titled, Don't Just Try It Once. The next section is, Don't Eat Your Family. And the well, next section is, Eat Alone. <laughs> and that's, I like that one. That's, that's one the end of with. the article. Oh, my God. Okay, I will have to read this. And like I said, I'll put it in the show notes because this seems wildly fascinating. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo, I, and uh, I will also send this to Army Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Army Hammer if he'll sign that for you to send the article to him. Please oh, return. I've enclosed a uh, self-addressed uh, stance envelope. Okay, okay. Well, Zach, I don't think I had anything else about the um, the book versus the movie. Those were the big things, and I think we, God, we Hannibal is just a. It's no good. I don't like it, Zach. I'm so glad you added. I mean, we have we actually have got a good bit of conversation from Hannibal, but I'm so glad you paired this with Silence. At least there's something to talk about with that movie. I told you, man. Hannibal is a nightmare. I knew that. I was only 17 years old, and I knew that was a nightmare. <laughs> I guess my other Hannibal notes, uh, we do get a shot of, like, somebody. I think it's the Italian detective going through the, um, the FBI's 10 most wanted list on um, a computer. Oh, yes, yes. And Osama bin Laden's on there. And I was like, Damn straight. I was like before nine eleven, and apparently he was on there from nineteen ninety eight for U.S. embassy bombings. They also showed you know, it's the USS Cole, right? Uh, I think so. Yeah, they've prominently also featured someone named Victor Manuel Garena, and I had no idea who that was. Apparently, he robbed a bank in nineteen eighty three and got away with seven million dollars, and he has the record for being the criminal or the fugitive on the FBI's top ten most wanted list for the longest time at thirty two years. Wow. So that's that's what I was looking into as I was watching this movie. Hashtag goals. <laughs> Hashtag goals. <laughs> and then um, I think the last note I have, which I clearly have not read yet, is uh, Ray Liotta. Fear me. <laughs> Anything else you want to say with Hannibal? I'm figuring we're going to just completely split no. this from the silence no. discussion, right? No. No. Yeah, no. Hannibal's a nightmare. Hannibal, Hannibal is a nightmare. It's not worth like, the, the final scene. Like, go on. Like, if you're that like curious, just go on YouTube. You'll, 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 it's, you, I have context. It probably works even better. Yeah, than watching it in the film. It's weird to say that, but it works better. I have context. I would agree. End of line. End of line. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, I guess I'm ready for Silence of the Lambs. Then this is uh, what everybody's been waiting for. I think so. Hot take: best performance in the movie. The 15 seconds Roger Corman's in it. <laughs> oh, God.
Uh, that's that's fun. It's fun that is to think really, of Roger Corbin. Really Roger Corbin shows up in a bunch of movies just randomly because he's like the like we talked about him a bunch in things like considering he's like the godfather of like contemporary cinema. Yep. It's fun to look at like his IMDb and just sit there and just like go through like his like roles or like his like this like cameos. Yep. No, I mean, it, of course, I don't think he's the best performance in the movie, seriously, but it was fun to see him. Because I, I didn't know until I looked into it. Apparently, Jonathan Demme's first few movies were Corman projects, so they had a, a working relationship. Um, I also love that Roger Corman's lines are something like, he says to, J- what, Jack Crawford or something like, did you did you authorize one of your agents to, like, make a fake deal to Hannibal Lecter? And I imagine he wanted to be like, why does this movie cost so much fucking money, Jonathan? <laughs> You could have made this for $2 million in a weekend. <laughs> no, he's great. I love – and I, I didn't know. I had, to, I had to find it from my research. But apparently when Clarice is being taken away from Lecter from, like, the cage after the, after the actual Silence of the Lambs monologue, one of those FBI agents is George Romero. I didn't know that ever. Oh, really? Yeah, and he has no lines. He's just one of the people that, like, drags her away, and then she runs back and grabs the case file. Like, in that scene, George Romero's there for just no reason other than – I guess he knew Jonathan Demme. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So how do we talk about Silence of the Lambs? Do we start with how amazing Ted Levine is as an actor? <laughs> is that the best way to discuss it? I, oh my God, that is such a, uh, I love, I, uh, I want to say that performance is over the top, but it's kind of not. Like, that's the problem. It's like, it's such a unique performance. Yes. It's almost like you can't, cause like, it, it's maybe the most accurate portrayal of like a serial killer imaginable. It's fantastic. Like it's the te- it is. It's Ted Bundy if Ted Bundy was done correctly. Oh my god, I'm so glad you bring that up because he remind his character of Buffalo Bill reminded me so much of Ted Bundy. One, he lures in the senator's daughter by pretending to have the cast and getting her to help him, which we saw in our Ted yep. Bundy movie. Yep. And then when she's at the bottom of the well screaming for her mommy, he screams back at her like Ted Bundy in the uh, in the beach <laughs> no. cabin scene. And I'm like, oh my, oh my god, this is so Bundy. <laughs> it is like I, I again numerous times while watching this, I'm just like, god damn it, this is like a genuinely good like like this is the difference between schlock and brilliance. Oh yeah. Like this is like like Ted Bundy is schlock. Yes. Or insanity, whichever comes first. And then you watch this and it's like just like it's brilliant. And the fact that like between Ted Levine and Jonathan Demi, they're able to dial this performance in just right in that it's it's unsettling yet it never goes into just like like goofy like there's a difference between like we like when we talked about like the original texas chainsaw massacre and like you have the moment where like like, they're all sitting at the table and they start just howling because whatever her name is starts like 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 going insane screaming and they're like oh and i'm like rob this is goofy i'm like this isn't scary it's goofy (laughs) there's no point in this movie where Ted Levine, like he's just on the verge of being goofy, mm-hmm. but he never gets there. It stays an unsettling bill. Absolutely. And that, I think that's what I love about it because all every, I think every scene he's in, every line he has is just so iconic. Of course, I started this whole discussion with one of the, my favorite things. Who do you fuck with? Come on, take that bone. Come on. Come on. Would you fuck me? 
I'd fuck me. Like, I'd I fuck wanna, me. I just, I just want to say okay. that to people. You know, it's great. I, I, I want to say this right now. You know, how many times over the years and seeing this film, like anytime I'm like, like on the occasion, I decide to make myself look somewhat attractive. I'll put like stuff in my hair, and when <laughs> I'm doing that, I will say to myself, "Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me." Yes. And it's like, like if, you, if, if you're not, if you're not fixing yourself in a mirror, no matter where you are, at home, the gas station, the bus station, <laughs> I don't care where. There you are. If you're not saying yourself, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. You're not doing it right. Oh, you are not doing so it right. It's so good. And then, of course, the I think the um the one of the most iconic scenes, of course, is the it rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. And even that, like like Zach and I, I think we're joking at the start of this, where you know he he starts to get pissed off. He's calling this woman it because, of course, he sees her as part of his woman suit. As we learn, she's not a real person. Um, it's another women aren't real people. They can't do anything. They're going to be used to make clothing for me as Buffalo Bill thinks. And then she's, you know, not being cooperative. And he has that great freak out where he, I think once again, she's screaming for his, her mommy and he like scoffs it off. And he's like, put the lotion in the fucking basket. Like he just gets pissed off and screams and it's fucking fantastic. It's so arresting and so enthralling to watch. I absolutely love it. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. Mr. My family will pay cash. Whatever ransom you're asking for, they'll pay it. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yes, you will, precious. You will get the hose. Okay. 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 Mr. If you let me go, I won't. I won't press charges, I promise. See, my mom is a real important woman. I, I guess you already know that. Now it places the lotion in the basket. Please. Please. Oh, I go home, please. Please. It places the lotion in the basket. I want to see my mommy. Please, no. What's the fucking lotion in the basket? Delightful. Every every even when Clarice shows up at the end and he's like and it's like I'm looking for Mrs. Lippman and he's like ah oh, she doesn't live here anymore and then he's like well do you have a card and he's like I got like a bajillion cards let me go look through them and then he throws him in the air when she realizes that like he's Buffalo Bill <laughs> and he's just yeah. like ooh yeah. and they, I'm, I'm like oh my god Ted Levine I'm so glad we actually have like. Because this is our third time we're seeing Ted Levine. We saw him as military general in Evolution and dinosaur hunter in Jurassic World Electric Boogaloo. I'm so glad we're getting to probably one of his greatest performances. Because I, I also love him in, in Monk. I forgot I forgot that he was in Dinosaur Boogaloo. Yeah, he's the uh, such a nasty woman. <laughs> yeah, and he also shares a scene with the indoor raptor. Yes, yep, absolutely. He's the one that, he's the one that makes the indoor raptor smile. Yep, yep, when he's trying to take the claw or whatever for his necklace, yeah. Um, we can't talk about I Ted Levine happen, without mentioning he is General Bloodbath McGrath in Wild Wild West, which we'll have to discuss one day. He can't hear, or he doesn't have ears, so he holds one of those like old-timey megaphone things yep. up to his ear to hear. Uh, he gets his head cut off. Oh, Ted Levine's just awesome. <laughs> he's, he's like the definition of a great character actor. Absolutely. One of the, one of the best. Uh, oh, yeah. Would you fuck Ted you Levine? Thing, though, it's like... I'd fuck Ted <laughs> Levine. I'd fuck Ted Levine. 
You know what the thing though is that like like after everything we've said about him, he's like what like the third most interesting character in this movie. Yeah, kind of. This movie is so densely packed that it's almost like ridiculous to think about how you know he how everything is so iconic. It's it's something. Okay, I guess I guess now that we've got our Ted Levine out of the way, we'll talk about him more um, as we go through the movie. This is what I actually have to say about Silence of the Lambs. I know that I've told Zach before, and I've told some other people. The one time I had saw this, which was maybe a few years ago, maybe like 2013, 2014 was when I saw it for the first time ever. I definitely did not care for it. I was like, eh, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is considered one of the greats. I got to check it out, you know, that type of thing. And I was definitely like, eh, you know, there's some parts I like. I thought it back then. I still think it now after seeing it. The reveal that Hannibal has the dude's face on him in the in the ambulance is just the dopest shit. I love that whole scene. But I, I really was kind of maybe lukewarm on this movie. After watching it for this recording, this movie is a masterpiece. But a lot of it doesn't work for me. I still have issues with it, but they are very, very personal and and opinionated issues. I totally understand why this movie is such a work of a masterwork of cinema and everything that it does. But I have to say, Zach, Jonathan Demi, just like with Sugar and Spice, I hate head-on directing. I absolutely fucking abhor the close-up, the direct facial shots of Jodie Foster of Anthony Hopkins, of damn near everyone in this movie. It's been a while since I've said it. Move the camera away from your face. I hate it so much that it drives me crazy. I know you do. And here's the thing. I want to mention this while we're on this because I don't want to harp on this movie and saying, you know, because I definitely don't think it's a bad movie. There's just that aspect is a very big thing that doesn't work for me. In the documentary we watched... As I was learning Russian from the hard-coded Russian subtitles that, uh, that were included in that YouTube video, we get the little bit where Jonathan Demi is describing the reason that he chose to do those kind of head-on directing and those close-ups and just whole face in frame. And he's very much saying, and I, I think I got it before I even heard him explain in the documentary, that you are seeing what Clarice is seeing, you are in that character, you are feeling what they're feeling. But it would be director Jonathan Demi and cinematographer Tak Fujimoto's unorthodox style of shooting that would give the film its most powerful effect. There are a lot of close-ups, uh, direct-to-camera close-ups, and uh, what, there's a lot of talk about that in film theory. You know, Hitchcock used that a bit. The POV shot is an incredibly dynamic tool in the visualization toolbox. It brings tremendous emphasis to a moment. You're putting the audience in the shoes of your character. You're now sharing exactly what it's like to be that character in that moment. It's much scarier when you look into the camera and talk like that because there's no barrier between you and the killer. You're not just an observer. That person is talking to you and you could be the next victim. But while the director and his stars were on board with employing this technique, others weren't quite so sure. I found it absolutely terrifying. And I can see, when I look at the movie, my lip shaking, like, you know, just in looking straight down the lens. Simplicity. I found it incredibly intimidating, but also wondering how is this going to look? I couldn't imagine how that could work, you know? I just couldn't imagine how it was going to all come together and look. All the time we were doing it, I was thinking, this this is not the way to shoot this scene. (laughs) I don't think that... Uh, the way Jonathan Demi says it, maybe this is the way I should phrase it, the way that Jonathan Demi explains that directorial decision comes across as him saying, if you don't do that, you cannot connect with these characters. And that's what I disagree with. I can get, 
I can be I can feel empathy and feel like I'm in the shoes of a character even if I'm not getting subjective POV shots. We don't need that and it feels like Jonathan Demi is saying you will always feel detached from the window of the theater experience unless you are literally seeing what they're seeing. And I don't agree with that. What do you think about that, Zach? Uh, I think it's a matter of, of personal opinion and choice. I Absolutely. know I, yeah. I, I, I get both sides of the argument in this because I know that's he does that a lot in other, others, uh, other films of his. Um, I think it's quite effective filmmaking, though, in this sense because – you do want that like layer of there like being no barrier between the audience and the film. So even though I don't necessarily agree with it as philosophy, mm-hmm. I think it's effective filmmaking in this particular instance. I would uh, agree. I think it does add. Well, here's the thing. I think that it can work as much as I have a disdain for this head on directing. I'm, I know I called it that in Sugar and Spice. I don't know what else to call it. That's what I think of it as. I think that it starts way too early in this movie. It starts almost immediately that we get a lot of it, even before Hannibal shows up, you know, with like Clarice and Jack Crawford in, in our kind of first scene after she's taken off the um, whatever course she's running at, at, at Quantico for the FBI. It's immediately just like full face in frame. I think that he shouldn't have pulled it out until some of, like, maybe wait to do it with Hannibal's first scene. Maybe wait to do it or reserve yourself to do it during the Silence of the Lambs monologue near the end. Like, I think that its effectiveness is watered down in this movie because he relies on it so heavily from the beginning. Uh, yes, he relies on it, though, but I think that was a sort of... Okay, he wants. I think that's what gives this film its own flavor. Sure. I think it's that it is. It does do that so much, and it does remove that layer of just like I don't know. He does it enough that it's very consistent. I don't think he over relies on it because he knows when to pull back on it. I think the only times when he starts to go a little overboard with it is what the whole like Buffalo Bill thing in the dark with with Jodie Foster at the end. Sure. That's when it becomes a little bit much because you're like, okay, I get it. Like he's right there. Um, it kind of removes the tension because it's like, okay, eh, it doesn't even remove the tension. I, I just don't like it because it's like, okay, he can get her anytime. He's just being reckless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And anytime you watch a movie and the serial killer or the villain is being reckless, you know it's their downfall. Pride goeth before a fall. Sure. It, it's and, like this movie's version of the um, the bad guy explaining his, his plot to James Bond at the end, his scheme, you know? Like wasting yes. time type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, it, it's it's kind of setting it up a little too much. Like, okay, like, it, this is the end. But at the same time, it's effective. So, why, again, I, I can't knock it. It works too well to critique it, in my opinion. Okay. Nope, sure. And, yeah, I agree with you. It is totally a personal opinion, subjective. Uh, like I said, I don't want to harp on it because I think, you know, that that's – to just talk about that with this movie would be doing it a disservice. But you can bet if I ever direct a movie – nobody's looking straight into the fucking camera. Like, that will never make my movie, man. I hate Rob, that already, shit. <laughs> Rob, you've already directed Wonder Chosen and The Shivering Truth. What do you mean, when? You've already directed things. <laughs> oh, no, now I'm thinking I might, now I might be thinking that I'm lying on this podcast, because when I go through the turnstiles and make Wonder Chosen, all those scenes with the little kids ask, being asked the weird questions, that's all head-on. Exactly. And that, that works You're for a liar. Me. Oh, God. You're a liar, Rob. Don't be a liar. <laughs> Yeah, but it's kind of better when you have a little kid saying, I just want to punch God in the face directly to the camera, you know? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's effective. You might not like it, but it's effective. 
Oh, God. Oh, that's funny. No, but I mean, so, like, I think the big point I want to make is still, this movie, there's things that don't work for me or don't click together, but I totally respect this movie. And honestly, like I mentioned earlier, I think of the five uh, Hannibal films in the franchise, I think Manhunter's my favorite. This is second and very close to Manhunter. They both know what they're going for. They're very well directed. They're very well told stories. I just prefer, I think in this instance, I prefer Michael Mann to Jonathan Demme with this material. So I think, I think that's just what I wanted to set up. I'm not coming out here saying like, oh, I hate this movie. I don't get why it's bad. This is not a, a, why everybody loves it. This is not a Lord of the Rings scenario. I'm not saying this movie is objectively bad and everybody's wrong. I'm saying this movie is objectively a masterpiece. It just doesn't work for me. This is like another – oh, God, what was the last time you did that where you're like, it's objectively good, but I don't like it? Oh, it's probably happened a you, few times. Sure, you've yeah. You've done that a couple of times. Oh, yeah. You're like you're – like, where is that? It's going to drive me nuts now. Um, no, I, I think I, – I love this movie. Um, the problem is that like – and we'll definitely get into this with Cinemati and late night movie status – is that like – this is like perfect, but it's just bled to the culture too much. Mm, I was, I knew this was going to come up at some point in this discussion uh, because it is a very successful movie in almost every way, shape, and form. Like I know I mentioned at the end of last week, this is this is up there with most influential movies we're going to discuss because even you know I, I was actually really excited to watch this movie because I've heard when, when I was watching the entirety of the X-Files earlier in 2020, I had heard so much that the X-Files like cinematography and stuff is based off of Silence of the Lambs. Even the story like Gillian Anderson's character of Scully is based off Clarice Starling to some extent. And so it was really interesting to see. I'm like, oh yeah, I, I kind of get this. You know, the FBI relationships in X-Files and in this are very similar. I, I definitely see some comparisons to the way that, you know, the X-Files stories played out as this crime story played out. And so this movie kind of becomes very influential on the X-Files. And then the X-Files early seasons basically dictate what TV is for the next 15 years. So this is a very influential movie in terms of, you know, what we started to see as a culture. And that's a crazy thing to me. I'm not saying good or bad, but I agree with you, Zach. This movie is so influential, it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, like, I, I honestly... But, like, that's the thing, though. It's one of those movies, and, and now that I think about the movie that you lo- that you did not like, but you particularly... Like, what's the word? You you, you thought it was it was Dread? Dread was the last movie where you're like, yeah, like, like I oh, respect it. You very know. well put together movie, but uh, it treated the audience it like does. they were stupid. That was my take on Dread. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. You the did, reverse. The re- I, I do like the reverse of that is Titanic, where I was like, I really respect this movie, and I actually like it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the thing about Silence of the Lambs is interesting. Is that like it deals with the idea of a woman facing like male adversity. Yes. In a very tasteful, realistic way. And it seems as if Hollywood chose to ignore that entirely. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. And it's like, there's really, like, think about it. Like, we have a movie where a woman is facing, like, the patriarchy, quote unquote. And yet it's not done to, like, like think of all the male characters. And really, none of them are portrayed to be idiots. Oh, sure. Yeah. There's really, I can't think of a, a single male character in this film that's just 100% incompetent in the way that you'd expect. Like the way that, like, 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 like Ray Liotta is yeah, portrayed in Hannibal. Uh, the, that <laughs> is a good point because I, I like that you added in the way that you'd expect because I think the most incompetent character in Silence of the Lambs is uh, Dr. Chilton, but he's not dumb. He's just blinded by his dislike arrogance. for, er, yeah, arrogance and his dislike for Hannibal. Because what he even says, he's like, he 
he's he's his pet. He's his research project or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like adult adult when it comes to the grander story of what Hannibal and do is doing and how he's manipulating everything. Exactly. Like even think about Italian man Hannibal. Like his entire the thing, but there's like a D plot in that where his wife is high maintenance and wants to go to the opera and wants good <laughs> yeah, seats. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh man. That movie. Like that's – but like – yeah, exactly. We probably forget to talk about that, Rob. <laughs> um, There's so many interesting things going on. But I think that's the thing though is that like it, it, this movie – like it's one of those movies. And I think this is what I was talking about when we did that series in January is like I would love to have done a companion series about movies that did change the world. Yes. But all like, in, like, But like didn't take the right lessons to be learned from them. OK. Yeah. Didn't we mention The Matrix when we, that, that came up? Very, Maybe. very influential, but people took the wrong message from the Matrix. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's the thing, though. It's like everybody like and this is the thing where I think that Silence of the Lambs has maybe been misunderstood all these years mm-hmm. is like in a lot. And this argument has come up a lot now in recent years when it comes to like sci fi action films starring women. Like, let's take everyone's favorite uh, actress, Brie Larson and with Captain Marvel. And she's like, yeah, I'm glad to sit there, be the first woman to be like, in a, like uh, such a high profile movie of this size. And you look around, you're like, well, I guess like Sigourney Weaver. Weaver and Linda Hamilton don't exist. Yep, yep. And, and that's kind of the thing that everybody points to when it comes to like like actresses or female characters being larger than life in movies. And yet we all forget about Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs. Like nobody like like in all honesty, Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs is just a meaningful of a protagonist as Linda Hamilton and Sigourney Weaver are in, in their respective films. Oh sure, sure. And yet I think – and this is something I think is really interesting as well that I just kind of figured out today is that it seems like the character of Clarice Starling has been 110 percent overshadowed by the character of Hannibal Lecter. I would I would completely agree with that because I, I guess this is another thing I wanted to mention, and I'm glad we're getting to Jodie Foster. I, I know I've hinted at it before, but I've, I can finally say it. Another very opinionated thing of mine. I just really don't like Jodie Foster. No. Oh, no. She's unlikable. Like, yeah. She is, like, she she's is, a, ugh, like, I don't think I've seen anything I've in, she's in that I'm, like, really into. Even my least, my least favorite Fincher film. I was about to say Jodie Foster is the lead in that, and she is not likable. She, I don't root for her. She's stupid. That movie's also stupid, which I, I you can't place all the blame on her. But I, I just always, I mean, what else have I seen her in? Like, she's what? She's the one who figures out that. Flight plan. Not, I haven't Flight seen plan. Flight Plan. Um, there's, I know there's, like, she's the one who figures out that Death the wish. bank is. Uh, no, what the fuck is the movie about the bank robber with the Nazi gold with Clive Owen built Inside Man. She's an Inside Man. Um, I didn't like her in that. I haven't Elysium. seen The Beaver, which I don't know if she's in, but she directed. Elysium. Oh, Elysium. well, now, now you're hitting the real, the real good movies, Zach. Would The Silence Contact. of the Lambs be better if it had the tanning bed of the future in it? <laughs> yes, every movie in existence would be better with a tanning bed of the future in it. I haven't seen Contact in so long. I don't really remember. Taxi Driver. Uh, she's she's a little kid in that, so. <laughs> but she's a prostitute, Rob. She's a prostitute. I think she's an unwilling prostitute, if I remember correctly. Uh, sure. Freaky Friday. <laughs> Freaky Friday, yep, yep. Not the 13th. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I just I don't know. There's something that I've I've never liked about Jodie Foster, and I think that is one of my other issues with this movie is that 
Clarice is a great character. I agree with you that I think she's overshadowed by the concept of Hannibal. But I, I just kind of wish that, you know, we would have gotten a better performance out of the Clarice character than Julianne Moore and Hannibal. Then, but that's the thing I'm kind of so torn about with Silence of the Lambs. Like, the, the performance, I think, is actually really good. I love the Silence of the Lambs monologue where there's actual restraint in Clarice's character. Like, I would imagine that in uh, if this was more modern, if they ever remade Silence of the Lambs, you would have bawling and crying and, and you know, the soul being dredged up. Yes. But here, it's like, no, she is. She has her eye, Clarice has her eye on the prize. She knows she just has to get through this story so she can get some info from Hannibal and keep moving. And that's a very, very interesting dynamic. We don't get bogged down in emotion. We don't get bogged down in any nonsense, you know, where it's like, oh, this whole thing about my family, it was just so terrible. She's just like, no, I gotta find Buffalo Bill, and this is what I have to do to do it. And that's great. And so it's that scene is so impactful, and Foster's it's a good performance, it's a good character. I just don't like Jodie Foster. <laughs> but, like, think about it. I've seen enough interviews of Jodie Foster that, like, she comes across very arrogant. And there's like an air of smarminess to her. Like even in the thing I watched today where it was just recorded a couple weeks ago with her and Anthony Hopkins. Okay. And like, like you can tell she's frustrated that like Silence of the Lambs is the Anthony Hopkins movie, not the Jodie Foster movie. Yes. And you can yeah. tell she's fr- – like there's a level of contempt maybe for Anthony Hopkins, maybe not directed toward him, but the fact that like she's seen him kind of like stealing the air from her sales when it comes to that movie. Sure. Because like she made some comment in this thing, like in an interview, she's like, people always ask like, what was it like to work with him? She's like, I've never met him. Every single scene we filmed in that movie was me staring at a camera. I never interacted with him. <laughs> yep. And it's like, and it's like, man, that is an aggressive answer. That is an aggressive answer to a very simple question. And I think that's the thing. Like, there is a. I think she's frustrated. That's like that's gonna always be the movie that that's gonna be like the biggest movie that she's ever gonna be involved with. Yeah. And yeah. it's not seen as her movie. Yeah. I. I mean, it's. I get. I understand that you. Someone would feel that way. Absolutely. Especially doing what she does in this. And from what we've already discussed, and you know, we've heard in the documentary and in my research that she has. She always wanted to be Clarice Starling. She. She. Love yeah. this character, you know, from the moment she read the book. I think in the documentary she says something like, a, a writers I knew t- telling me to read this book, I read it, I loved it, I wanted the rights, I wanted to be Clarice Starling, that type of stuff. And then when you get overshadowed by Anthony Hopkins, you know, going fava beans and Chianti, like, there's got to be some animosity there throughout the years. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's in the interviews I see her with, whether it be in, like, it's, it didn't start in 91, but, like, if you look at stuff, they, apparently for, like, the 10-year anniversary, they put stuff together for, like, a, like a DVD featurette. Okay. It's there. And I told you, it's in the thing that was just recorded a couple weeks ago. Like, there is – and I guess the older she gets, the more she's reflecting on her career. And I guess yeah. it's just, like, it just it's kind of just sticks in her craw, like, man. I, I don't know. Yeah. The fact that, like yeah. – she feels that she did more dramatic acting as opposed to him being a little bit more hammy relative to her. Sure, sure. I mean, um, would you would you call the Hannibal Lecter performance hammy? Would uh, you call it that, even if it's minor? In Silence of the Lambs, probably it, yes, but minor. In Hannibal and is, Red Dragon, then it's just fucking off the, off the walls, ham. You know? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's the point. That yeah. That, my, minor in in this in this movie in Silence. Yeah. But I think that's the point. He's he's a caged animal that doesn't get to pick people's brains in the way that it like literally and figuratively as he's a psychiatrist and a cannibal he doesn't get to do that anymore and so he finally gets to do that with Clarice 
And he should be hammy. He should be excited. That whole opening scene where he's making fun of her accent and he's like, you're just, he's like, what? You're like a generation you, off from white trash or something like that. And he's, he's. Did you hear that? Apparently that was, that was improvised and that actually made her mad. Yes. I think she mentions in a documentary where she's like, why is this other actor making fun of my acting? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my response was because your accent's fucking stupid in this movie. And this is another thing I disagree with Jonathan Demme because he – I know in the documentary he, like, he does a take. For, he fought for the accent. He fought yeah. for the accent. And I'm like, from the moment this movie starts and she puts on that accent, I'm like, I see her as white trash. It's a terrible accent. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's part of it, though. You're supposed to look at her as, like, she is not tapped in America. Yes. She's yes. not. She struggles with everything. And I think that's the thing. She's everyday – like, she's – Everyday average Joe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or average Jane, I guess. Yeah. And she's even a, a trainee, right? You know, she's not even a full yeah. agent in the in the context of this movie. Yeah. But the thing, though, but like going back to like the fine line that like Ted Levine walks and how like he just gets right up to the edge of just like, oh, God, just over the top. Mm-hmm. The same thing can go for Anthony Hopkins in this. Like you get to him. And very like, – this is the difference. Like everybody likes to put like – again, not to bring this back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but everyone's like, oh, man, like this is like – this is the beginning of like horror. It's like cinema verite. It's real life. And I'm like, no, it's goofy as hell. You people are just like, – you people watch this in a, drive, a drive-in theater in, in like the 70s and 80s, which gave the film an extra air of mystique that you're never able to shake. This film distilled is not scary. It's goofy. And, and – but like you go back to this. And you watch it, and yes, there are elements of the performance of Anthony Hopkins that are camp, but like there are moments that he get he dials so far into it, oh yeah, that what he says actually becomes biting. Where like you can sense the genuine, like almost like there's a level of just like this man is so like in the performance he's giving, this character of Hannibal Lecter has such a high intellect, he's not going to kill you not because that like you've done something right, it's that you're not worth his time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's, I think, what makes that character so interesting. I think it's, I think there's an air to the character, too, that almost makes him, like, I don't, this is going to sound weird, but, like, almost, like, sexy. In the air that, like, he is so, like, there's this air of confidence around him that, that people find, and I think this is why over time it's become the Anthony Hopkins movie over the Jodie Foster movie, mm-hmm. in that he is just so, oh, God, assertive, and he's just so knows what he's doing yeah that and people and it's so rare and i think i've said this before with other movies it's fun to watch movies with characters that know what they're doing and are excellent at their jobs this goes back to sicario sure like you watch josh brolin and benicio del toro and they are such finely tuned to what it is that they have to do in their films like character wise Mm -hmm. it's fun to watch someone do their job to a t absolutely i think the same principle applies to this Except as opposed to someone being a good guy, this is someone that is so dastardly evil, they've made themselves likable in the process. <laughs> they are – they understand everything not just about themselves but how people work. They can make something so disgusting and reprehensible attractive. Yeah. And I think that is so rare in cinema. You can't help but find it instantly magnetic once it happens. Yeah. I, I totally agree, and from what I've read, because I, I mentioned before I haven't watched any of it, apparently the the sexiness and confidence is 
played up by Mads Mikkelsen a lot in the TV show. And I have to imagine that that sure. is inspired by what you just described in and Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs. But I think there's a difference because, like, Anthony Hopkins is a, is a handsome man. But, like, when you see him, when he were introduced to him in Silence of the Lambs where the camera just kind of pans yeah. over to him, like, he's – He's like, think about it. If you've never, let's say you're watching this film and you've been 100% removed from the cultural osmosis of it. Let's say you're watching this and like how you've described him, you expect him to be this almost like, like, like monster behemoth. Mm-hmm. And yet you pan over to this kind of this like kindly middle aged man. Yep. Perfect posture. Absolutely. It's, yep. Exactly. It's, 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 it's the internet's favorite word of it's that subversion Mm -hmm. and it's like this man is the most demure person probably the entire mental hospital yet he's the most dangerous yep and then and then he he and in that first scene laying down oh oh, yeah and then that whole first scene is him you know he's uh he has these great drawings in his cell. He's he seems very refined. You know, he wants to read about his. Um, I think there's more in Manhunter about this, but he you know he wants to continue to read his psychiatrist journals and things like that. He's a very very posh gentleman, and it takes so long in Silence of the Lambs because it doesn't happen in Manhunter Red Dragon for him to be the monster that he's been described as. We only get to hear about yeah. it because I think you know what Doctor Chilton is like. They took the nurse took his their eyes off him for a second, and he b- b- ate her face off, type of thing. And yep. we only get those descriptions. I love that's another a masterful part of this movie is that when Doctor Chilton shows the picture to Jodie Foster and is like, "Look what he did to this nurse." We don't get to see it. We don't see what she's looking at. We just get it explained to us, and it's like he's a monster. And then he gets introduced, and he's like. He's like, I can only draw things from memory because I don't have a window and I, that's all I want, you know? And it's, he's very posh, like I said. And it is, and it makes the impact of when he breaks out of the weird cage in the ballroom scene later on so much more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Which is a fucking awesome scene, man. That reveal, yeah, it is. when it's he great. pulls off the face in the ambulance. That's yeah. the dopest Great. shit, man. And I love – I don't think – I definitely did not notice this the first time I watched this movie. I loved that scene when I watched it, you know, six, seven years ago. But I love when the scene I just described, when Dr. Chilton is like, you know, he attacked this nurse. He says, and his pulse never went over 85. And then when they have who they think the the hurt EMT or the hurt prison guard in the ambulance, we get a line from one of the EMTs who goes like, the pulse is 83. And then the reveal is that it is Hannibal, and it's like, oh my god, that is a wonderful little detail. Yep. Love it. Love it. One of the greatest reveals, that whole cutting back and forth between the ambulance and the whole SWAT team in that building, they find the body on the elevator, they shoot it in the leg, it doesn't move. (laughs) Oh my god, that scene is so good. (laughs) But like that, to me, that is the client. Like this is the thing that like over time, like and it goes back to the thing about like Clarice Starling not being the main character. Sure. This is the Hannibal Lecter movie. Yeah. Like this is yes. like that is the climax. Watching Hannibal Lecter having that moment of him pulling the filleted face of the prison guard off yeah. and he just startles the EMT worker. It's like that is the climax of the film. That yeah. is the climax. Like, yeah. At that point, I don't care about Jane Gum. 
I don't care about what's his uh, what's his name Scott Glenn. Mm-hmm. I don't care about Jodie Foster. That is the climax of the film. I agree because like, everything it, everything after else that, doesn't matter after that. It, that's what I was about to say. It's almost like okay, we have to wrap this up because that's what a movie does, type of thing. But but exactly, you're, you're absolutely right. That that is the climax where we get Hannibal Lecter. He's this monster. We think he's this posh gentleman. We have the movie is just like, it doesn't let it breathe. The thing with him stealing the pen from Dr. Chilton, it doesn't just let it breathe, it lets it, like, grow. That takes so yeah. long for that scene to get set up of how he can bust out of his handcuffs. You know, Dr. Chilton leaves the pen. We uh, Ten minutes go by. Dr. Chilton can't, Chilton can't find his pen. Twenty minutes goes by. He gets out of the handcuffs. It's, it's great. It spends so much time on that setup, whereas, I guess, to compare it to Hannibal, it's just like, nope, nope, nope. Mason Verger's dead now. Come on, keep going. We gotta get we gotta get to Ray Liotta eating his brains and saying Because saying theory. Rob, because Hannibal is stupid. Yes, it is exactly. stupid. Yeah. That's what it is. It's just stupid. It's dumb. It doesn't deserve. I guess the thing. It's oh, such a frustrating movie. I have to say though, I do. Well, I think it's been established. I like the last stuff, the the final showdown. I guess you call it with. Clarice and and Ted Levine. I do like that because we get more Ted Levine. And of course, that's kind of like the Clarice's plot of the movie where we've wrapped up Hannibal's. I do love that when Clarice figures out it's him, he gets down in the basement. She goes down in the basement. She finds oh, I think I know you're going to the senator's daughter in <laughs> the pit, and she's like, "Are you okay?" And he's, she's like, "Get me out of here!" And she's like, "I'll be right back. I have to get the killer." You... And she's like, "You stupid bitch! Get you... me out of here!" <laughs> That's such a great touch that. that this this I, I woman has been imprisoned, it. and she's reverting back to like she's in this traumatic experience. She's getting hosed. She has the dog, and she's like, "I want my mommy." And then she goes back to, "Fuck you! Get me out of this goddamn well." <laughs> I love that. It's, I it's love a that very so good much. touch, yeah. Catherine Martin! Yes! FBI! You're safe! Safe! Get me out of here! Like there's a lot of great. I guess the thing too, this movie has great dialogue. Oh, it has yeah. some really great, like po- it has some like really great poignant embellishes. Like probably one of my favorite lines in cinematic history, and probably one of my favorite movie moments of all time is when Doc, uh, when Hannibal Lecter is talking to the senator woman, and like it's like, well, it's like, well, what details can you give me about him? It's like and he starts going to the whole thing about like when like the animals are like slaughtered. It's like so, mom. Yeah. When your daughter's on the slab, where will it tickle you? And she's like, take this thing back to Baltimore. Like, she's just mortified. Like, it's that realization of, like, oh, wait. Like, we're kind of just, like, reveling in just kind of the smarminess of Hannibal Lecter. And then at that moment, he realized, like, oh, crap. Like, I can't manipulate. I don't think he's able to realize in that exact moment, I can't manipulate this person the way Mm -hmm. that this woman 
even though I'm intellectually smarter than her, she wields more power than I do. So I have to immediately give her something, even if it's not 100% accurate, to just appease her in the moment so I can at least carve out a key size, like a a pinhole to kind of eventually just get my way out of this. And then I love how he gives her like all these details and then like she starts to walk away and he's like, one more thing, Senator. Love your suit. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. I lo- Tell me, Senator. Did you nurse Catherine yourself? What? Did you breastfeed her? Now, wait a minute. Yes, I did. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Oh, son of a bitch. Amputate a man's leg and he can still feel it tickling. Tell me, Mom, when your little girl is on the slab... Where will it tickle you? Take this thing back to Baltimore. Five for ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds. Hair blonde, eyes pale blue. He'd be about 35 now. He said he lived in Philadelphia, but may have lied. That's all I can remember, Mom. But if I think of any more, I will let you know. Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. Oh, you yeah. have no idea, Rob. After like, I don't have ever done this to Rob because we've never really had any instance where I've done this. But in real life, I have done that to people. <laughs> where like I'll be somewhere and someone will be talking to me and they'll start to like walk away and I'll be like, oh, one more thing, and they'll stop and turn around. And I'll be like, love your suit, <laughs> and they just like look at me. They, like, they give me this like like like, like puzzled look and they like chuckle and walk away. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't care if you don't get that. It makes me feel good about myself. I, I know when I go to work tomorrow, I will say that to a few people. I'll be like, love your suit. God, I'm just thinking care. now that like this it's delightful. We, we've mentioned it's delightful. F- we this movie somehow we've discussed how it is influential on like media, but it's also influential for some reason this movie has succeeded at having two very monstrous serial killer characters who have lines of dialogue that we can apply in real life. Like with the, would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. The one you just said. And now I'm thinking, I want to like go to like a, like a Target or something and see somebody like, you know, looking at lotion and just like scream at them, put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> like it's so applicable to real life. <laughs> I want a Tales from the Cinemati restaurant (laughs) segment where Rob goes to whether it has to be Target. Target would be the funniest. (laughs) Rob goes to Target to buy moisturizer lotion. And there's an issue because the barcode won't scan, but it's the only one left. And after like waiting online like a half an hour, they try to do price checks. Rob's just like, put the fucking lotion in the basket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. (laughs) Put the lotion in the Great. Don't it hurt my dog. Great. <laughs> God, they're great. Come here, precious, you little shit. They're great. It's it's so fantastic performance of serial killers that apply to so many things. Oh, it's delightful. It is delightful. That thing, like, I, it's it's one of those few movies that I would say, like, when it comes to American cinema, it's probably what. Oh God. It's, no, I can't say that. At one point, when I was like watching this and thinking about it. I'm like, is this the most objectively like perfect film we've ever discussed on this podcast? And I'm like, <laughs> no, Zach, that is not right because we already talked about Titanic, and that is the most objectively perfect film ever made. So it does not, it does not qualify. But I have to say, this is definitely like, like what we we talked like, and not like us in our kind of like corny goofball way how we discuss movies, but just like like 
pure cinephile objective takes this is probably what top five like best movies we've ever talked about oh yeah this is like i like i started all even though it doesn't work for me you you cannot deny i would be Argue. i would find yeah. it very very interesting to find somebody who thinks this is like objectively bad and have them defend it because i don't think it can be defended i think this is objectively no. like you were saying a fantastically well put together film it it broke ground in so many ways that's why it's so influential um i mean i i would put it up there with the shining in terms of influence oh. and stuff like that absolutely Oh, that's a good one. The Shining. Oh, that'd be a really fun like de- like debate. The Shining versus Silence of the Lambs, which is a better film? Because mm, I mean, oh, you're right. We have we have God, The Shining. We have hard. Silence. We have um, like you mentioned, Titanic, of course. Other than that, you know what what truly influential like masterpieces have we discussed? I mean, of course, we did R. Tra- R. Kelly's Trapped in the Closet, but people want to erase that. But I mean, in all seriousness, other than that, we haven't covered. This is kind of what I was getting at when I, at the end of last week, I was like, "This is going to be one of the most influential movies we've ever talked about." I'm honestly trying to go through our filmography right now, I'm trying to see like, like things that aren't like, like objectively, like no one could really argue about it. Like, uh, maybe I really, I'm trying to think. I'm not in the Mulholland same Drive. Mulholland Drive, maybe Alien. I was thinking would be somewhere up there. Yeah, I, you can't even yeah. put like Eating Raoul up there because that's so niche. No. I feel. Yeah, it's niche. Um, oh my god, this it's, is like the the straight story. I don't even know if that movie's well known. Mulholland Drive, Mulholland Drive, definitely. I would put up there. Maybe not in the same as Mulholland high as them, but near the bottom of the list we're we're curating. Okay, Terminator. Okay, Terminator Term- probably. Terminator, oh, oh. yeah, Terminator, Terminator Two for sure. Those are those are very. Um, I don't know. I think I was much more negative on the objective sense for Terminator Two, if I remember. I know, I know, I know. You don't like Terminator Two. Don't you 2, want your robot that. to be your dad? <laughs> The answer is no, oh, I don't boy. I don't want my robot to be my dad. I want to smash my, my robot against the fucking wall. <laughs> yes, Rob, we are firmly aware of that. No, but it is it is a it is an interesting thing, and this is I think why I'm so excited you decided to act we we are actually covering this movie. Because one, I got to see it again in a new light, and it's it's like I said, I have problems, but it is a fantastic yeah. movie. It really is. Like you think of we have Silence of the Lambs, we have Titanic, we have Alien. Mulholland Drive, Blade Runner. You know we hate Blade Runner. That I was thinking that too. I think that I would go with Alien over Blade Runner, but Blade Runner's probably up there. Yeah, this guy's a cultural again cultural ranking of things. Yeah. Um. But yeah, four and a, we'll give that half, four and a half. So yeah. Wow. Think about Rob. We have what? Where are we on? This is what our one fifty something. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about. <laughs> think about that. What is that? Uh, <laughs> like what two percent of our movies we've ever talked about are real movies. <laughs> Two percent of Cinemati's canon is, is real cinema. <laughs> I'm just thinking like it's, it's all it's all good. I think that's why our our small but dedicated fan base loves us. Everybody knows we had to get to that's my boy first. <laughs> God damn, that's my boy. That now that is a true cinematic gem. We had to do all the Steve Odekirk thumb movies and Kung Pao. It had to be done. <laughs> Update, we are still waiting for the thighs of Skyskipper. Oh god, yes, I still I still check and it's not there. <laughs> Bro, which will come first? Another Hannibal movie or the thighs of Skyskipper? Oh, another Hannibal movie. I think like hands <laughs> down. That's like almost almost a certainty. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. 
Oh, God. I am trying to think. Well, again, there's a bunch you could say about these things. Oh, just one final thing I want to talk about. Just talk about, like, how Hannibal, like, how I knew Hannibal was going to be a bad movie from the, literally the first scene. Okay. Is that in that first scene, you have Gary Oldman in a meat costume talking mm-hmm. to Barney, the, the orderly. Yep. And he, like, pr- opens up. He's like, I brought you some candy. He tells the doctor, oh, doctor, you think I can have some candy? No, it would kill you. Oh, yeah. And he's like, well, <laughs> ma- he's, he's like, maybe, j-, he's like, I don't know, he says something like, oh, maybe just a whiff. And he opens it, and he's like, <gasps> like, Gary Oldman in a meat costume almost has like an orgasm he's like how much 250 and he's like dr so-and-so cut a check for 250,000 yeah and he opens it and it's the Hannibal Lecter face mask Mm -hmm. from that one scene in the movie from Silence of the Lambs the iconic one and as as we know now it's also a very personal item to Hannibal Lecter because it resembles his samurai mask from his childhood Zach okay that adds a whole nother way shut the fuck (laughs) up Happen. Zach's that like, if I was happen. still editing, that would be bleeped out. <laughs> no. What makes me mad about that sequence is one of those things where I hate so much because A, it's the goddamn like current culture thing that like maybe and this is why 9-11 happened, folks. This is why the terrorists hate us so much. <laughs> is that in the context of the Silence of the Lambs Hannibal universe, that mask has literally no meaning. Yep. Because A Nobody saw him wearing that mask outside of a U.S. senator and, like, maybe, like, two dozen security people, and that was it. He wore it once. It has no meaning other than what it means to the audience. And B, how would Barney even have known that, and how would have Gary Oldman in a meat costume even have known that? He could have literally presented him with any sort of face mask and been like, this is Hannibal Lecter's, do you want it? Yep. And he could have had an endless thing. Like when Clarice Starling confronts him in Hannibal, like, oh, I know you're selling like personal objects. He could have been like, bitch, I am literally just going down the models and buying fence masks and giving it to this old man. He doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, think about it. There's literally the only reason why that's there is because the audience recognizes it. That's yep. the only reason why that sequence is there. It has no meaning in universe. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, I hate, and, and, yeah. and from that moment, and I forgot about that moment in Hannibal. I forgot. And from that very first moment, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to hate this. I knew I was going to hate the movie. <laughs> like, I never had a high opinion of it back in high school. But at that moment, I'm like, oh, God. It's that goddamn thing we do now in society where it's only there because the audience will recognize it. It's like, yep. why Like why does Han Solo say to Chewie, we're home? He only says it because the audience is going to hear it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I, I detest I it. it as well. I hate it. And I it. also want to know why Gary Oldman can't have a cookie. Why would a cookie kill him? <laughs> the fuck did he do to his face and his body? They can't have a cookie. Is he like ultra he diabetic or something? <laughs> like that's the thing though he filleted his face like his like teeth should be fine yeah i think we even see his teeth in multiple why is he scenes. in a wheelchair why is it why can't he walk do we know I... that he filleted his face no, he, he should be disfigured but he should be able to walk <laughs> can we talk about in this movie we get numerous in hannibal we get numerous shots it's like a hand truck that has three wheels and can go upstairs by itself oh God, like yes, we, yes. we focus apparently i guess ridley scott had never seen any of these before or maybe this was some sort of weird like like what movie tie-in deal like we spend so many shots in that movie right. are devoted to this thing of shots of the wheels it yeah i'm surprised that we didn't get head-on shots of this like jonathan demi style I, I picked up on that Hannibal as well. Hannibal is a bad movie. That's a, that's a good point. I imagine that Ridley Scott, you know, when they're 
I don't know, maybe like before they were starting to shoot one day, they had to deal with stairs, and one of like the crew members had that hand truck with like the. Uh, I, it makes it slightly easier to go upstairs with a hand truck. I, I, is the purpose of this thing? And Ridley Scott was like, "What is that? Oh my god, I've never seen anything like that. Let's put it in the movie." <laughs> It gets numerous shots just yeah. to itself. It's it the most inexplicable on, yeah. thing. It's it's insane. Uh, insane. I, I forgot about that, but you're absolutely right. We get close-ups of those wheels and the little like gear noises that it's making as it's going. Yep. And I'm just and like, that's what he uses to, to. That's what he used to go up like three steps with Italian man. Like yep. think about it. If he yep. didn't have that, Italian man would still be alive right now. He'd be at the <laughs> opera with his wife. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's insane. I don't know. I don't know, Zach. I don't know. I want to talk. I want to talk more about silence. I don't want to. I don't want to think about Hannibal anymore. <laughs> I want to do a whole episode on Manhunter. <laughs> why did we? Why didn't we do Silence in Manhunter? <laughs> we'll do that for the nineteen what nineteen eighty six uh, Fort Year. Yes, or or it would fit into an August fifteenth series if we ever did that. <laughs> Ben Affleck's birthday tangential. Once we run out of Ben Affleck's filmography, we'll, we'll start going into films released on August. I know you keep taking. You're making us do Pearl Harbor not on Ben Affleck's birthday. You're taking everything away from me. <laughs> I know. We know he's only been in like six movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> ben Affleck has the filmography of Stanley Kubrick. Oh, he's only done like what half a dozen. Okay, okay. I can't believe I'm doing this, but it was something that I wanted to talk about, and you even mentioned it before. But I have to ask you, Zach. Maybe I'll bleep uh, it out to, uh, to to hide my shame. You mentioned it earlier. Why did Blank Check think this was bad for trans culture? I have to know some more. Buffalo Bill. Well, okay. I want to. I'm, I'm kind of. I want to know what you think. Of course, way more than than I want to know what Blank Check thinks. But I took this movie. I took Buffalo Bill's, Bill's depiction at. I. And I think Hannibal Lecter even says it. He's not transsexual. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter is because that that's how it comes across. So is that what their kind yes. of stance? Mm. Yes. See, I really liked that nuance in this movie that uh, that he's not transsexual. He's just trying to be anybody but himself. Apparently, Jonathan Demi has made had made. I don't know how true this is. Okay. Jonathan Demi made comments that he felt bad for misportraying. The LGBT community in the 90s, that's why he made Philadelphia. Oh, I think I've heard something similar to that. Yes. But, okay. And that's the thing. So, like, because I know on the episode of Blank Check, they have a transgender person as their guest. And they talk about how, like, even they didn't see it that way. But it's one of those things, kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, where a handful of people started projecting a narrative onto the film. Sure. And then other idiots, I mean people, just glommed onto it because they, don't, they can't think for themselves. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Okay. I think it's one of those things that, like, nobody really felt this way. It's just a handful of people in the media just kept screaming it loud enough that enough people that can't think for themselves just glommed onto it. Okay, okay. That, that was something I, I saw a little bit in my research. I think that's also a section on the Wikipedia page for this, for Silence of the Lambs, is that, you know, there was some outcry from the LGBTQ community uh, after this movie came out. But I, I thought it was an incredibly interesting idea that even, like I said, Hannibal says it in a scene. He's not really a transsexual. He just hates him so much, hates himself so much, he's trying to be anybody that he's not. And I love near the end of the movie, I think it's right before uh, Clarice shows up at Buffalo Bill's house, that we see in the set dressing of his like downstairs den where he does his human sewing and stuff like that. That he has, like, n n swastikas and Nazi memorabilia on things. He has posters about, like, different cults. And I totally take it as 
Buffalo Bill, for some reason, I, maybe it's more fleshed out in the book, I don't know, he hates who he is so much that he is just trying different thing after different thing to see if he belongs anywhere. Like, he's like, maybe I agree with the Nazis. Maybe I agree with this cult. Maybe I should be a woman. And I find that fascinating, that that's what he's going for. It's not that he wants to be a female, it's that he is just running down the list of things to get away from his own self. I find that so wildly interesting as a, a character, because this this could have been a bad depiction of, say, transsexuality, where he is like, he's a woman in a man's body and wants to literally build a woman's suit to become a woman, but I don't think that's the point of this movie. He's building a woman's suit because he wants to be different, not necessarily a woman. I love that layer to the character. But I think the penis tucking is what kind of pushes that away, maybe. I, talk, I don't We have know. to talk about the tuck scene, absolutely. We didn't talk about the tucking scene. I have to say, I love that his dance scene, because, of course, that's kicked off by the, uh, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. And he's dancing to uh, Wild Horses by Q Lazarus, which is a great song. It's, it's so wonderfully mixed. I think there's some screaming and dog barking in the background from, uh, from the woman in the well, which is great. And I love that scene, and I see where you're coming from when he does the tuck, which the tuck is when he puts his penis in between his legs and covers it up so it looks <laughs> like he does not have a penis. We have to be explicit about the tuck, Zach. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. That can be taken as, oh, he, he is really looking to be a woman. But I think... From the stuff established earlier in the movie and with what I was saying, he's doing that because that's where he's where he's looking to next is to being a woman. And he's trying to pretend like he has that suit already when he actually doesn't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see I think I see where you're coming from. And you're saying I don't think you're disagreeing with me and saying, like, no, he's transsexual. I think you're saying that the way the movie plays it, what I'm getting at might be so subtle or nuanced that mass audiences just saw it as transsexuality. Is that am I kind of on the right mm -hmm. track? I don't know if it's mass audiences. I think a handful of people or, just sure. want Th that subset of the audience. Yeah, I think a handful. I, we've talked about it a couple of times on here when it comes to people just want a narrative, they latch on to it, and the media just amplifies what a handful of people are thinking. Do they? Does Blank Check talk about what Jodie Foster thinks about that at all? Because of course, Jodie Foster is a lesbian. I, I did not focus on the entire thing. I didn't listen okay. to their entire episode. Good, good. Um, You've redeemed yourself. More... <laughs> <laughs> the reason why, Rob, I didn't listen to all of it because I ran out of time. <laughs> okay, okay, good. good. Yeah, I'm glad you texted me and said we can start early instead of finishing up an episode of theirs. That makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I didn't find anything of that in my research. I mean, like I said, it was I read about some of the backlash that this got. But I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Jodie Foster is a lesbian. I don't know if she's had anything to say about this movie when it came out. Of course, maybe that she doesn't really think about that too much. She focuses on the Anthony Hopkins thing that we mentioned earlier. I think I I don't think she cares. She might care about that. I don't know. Okay, but I don't know. She might go Catherine Heigl one day when it came to Knocked Up and just constantly just keep like like denigrating the movie. Sure. 
I won't let you fuck me, fuck me like a dog. <laughs> Love that. But line. I think at the end of the. But I think at the end of the day, um, she's more concerned about the fact that this movie was kind of yeah. culturally stolen from her. Sure, sure. Yeah, that, that, that makes some sense. Um, no, I mean, it's interesting. I think that um, maybe because, of course, this when this came out in 1991, the, the culture as a whole wasn't as, I guess, well-versed in these types of ideas. You know, I guess transsexuality. The, the movie goes overboard with the building the women woman's suit. Like, that's a very different thing, of course. But it'd be interesting to see, like, a retrospective on that aspect of the movie because I I thought it was perfectly clear that he's not transsexual, but I can totally get after what you said that there is uh, people can take something different from it just because that that is such a focus of his character in the time that this movie takes place. You know, it'd be very different if he was trying to be a Nazi and not, you know, building a woman's suit type of thing. It's a totally different movie, but that's where I think of it as that he's gone through multiple different iterations of trying to fit in with different ideologies. Yeah. I don't know. It also depends on what the media does. The media can uh, sure. take something and just blow it out of proportion, and we all know how that works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they do touch on it in the documentary as well, and I think they, they don't touch on it a lot, but they just say that there was some backlash. And I think even – there's a little bit in the documentary – if I'm remembering correctly, Ted Levine says something like, my character hates himself and doesn't say like he wants to be a woman type of thing, something along those lines. Yeah, I I don't know. I think it's just one of those things where the the overall thesis of that section of the blank check episode was, oh, this movie this movie is portraying uh, a trans a transgender person. Thus, the audience can only infer that all transgender people are evil. Okay. Thus, okay. that's why it's a bad. That's why it's a bad. It's a bad performance. Oh, I. Or a mis or a misguided. Yeah. performance. Not bad. But it's a misguided performance. That is the argument. Sure, I don't, I don't like that. They but... do say, they do say that it's not the movie's fault because they say the movie makes a very big point, and it's not the movie's fault that people misconstrued it. I think, I think that's that's a good way to sum up what I'm getting at. Is that you know, it's a you know what it is? It's a Dave Chappelle thing again. It's mm. that like, oh, audiences are stupid. It doesn't matter if it's not intended that way. It has to be destroyed if it's misconstrued. And it's like, no, it's not your – you're an entertainer. Your job is not to hold someone – hold the audience's hand in perpetuity. Yeah. And I yeah. don't get that mentality that being an entertainer means you have to be the arbiter of everything that's right. I don't get that. I, I really would love to know where that became a thing in the entertainment industry. Being an entertainer equals being the arbiter. I just yeah. I just don't get it. I just I'm don't get you. it, like where that comes from. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I mean it was interesting when you brought up that that they discussed that in Blank Check because it's, it's certainly, I think, a part of this movie. One that, like I said, I found very interesting. But I think you know it's a uh, it's it's bound to happen. I I'm, I can't think of an example off the top of my head now, but this has been happening forever. You know, if it's the intention of the movie of the of the director of the creator of anything or not, some people will pick up on it and say it's bad type of thing. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like you said, we live in the worst time. <laughs> We do live in the timeline. Speaking of uh, worst timeline alternate ones, there's an alternate ending to Hannibal on the DVD, oh. which I didn't know about until I was just looking at the case. So I put it on its background without the sound. Uh-oh. And apparently you're, you're going to like this, Does Rob. Clarice – does Julianne Moore say she needs some dick? <laughs> if only. If only. Um, no, apparently Hannibal does not ch- – apparently she doesn't handcuff him. She just – like he, he puts her ponytail in the refrigerator, breaks yeah. off the lock – and then he walks away. She continues to, like, go out, and she sees, like, the boat, and she has the gun and all that. He goes to, like, a gas station where the fireworks are going off, steals a van, 
allows the teenagers to walk in front of him, and it's the plane ending, and he and we actually visibly see his hand. Like and his, that's it, it. his attached hand or his yeah. stump hand? No, it, it, you see the full hand. Oh, what? Now I'm confused. <laughs> that apparently there was apparently at some point someone watched the ending was like, nope, he needs one less hand. It must have been a, a note from the studio execs. <laughs> this movie work a lot better with one less hand. Okay, interesting, interesting. I was hoping the uh, the 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 alternate ending would be when Clar- uh, Clarice runs outside of the house to the cops. There's some cows there, and she freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> She's just shooting cows. <laughs> it's like, oh, brother, where art thou? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Do you remember back when MTV Movie Awards was a thing people actually cared about? Like, remember when yeah. that was like a big thing? Yeah. Well, they were the, uh, the astronauts. Like Miley Cyrus to dry hump a pole. Absolutely. Yes. They were the astronaut trophies, ex- right? Okay. Yes. Okay. I can remember in 2001, they had, a, for a while, they had, like, a category for best, like, on-screen kiss. Okay. And in, in years, like, things like the Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst kissed would win. Things like that. Oh, sure. For 2001, they nominated Hannibal for best kiss between Hannibal Lecter and Clarice Starling. But it lost to another movie from that year that's also scheduled for the fourth year. Oh, for best kiss? That was what best kiss. For best kiss. Yes. Go through the go through the spreadsheet, Rob, and I want you'll give you one guess and then I'll tell you what the correct answer oh, is. Oh god. But you're but you're going to and people in the the winner that won was controvert it was a controversial winner and you're going to love why. Oh my god, there's so many good choices in the fourth year. It's in the <laughs> It's in the fourth year, Rob. It's in the fourth year. And keep in mind, it was selected by MTV, so it has to be something popular. I yeah, that's that's kind of that's definitely oh man okay for I, that I, demo. I think I think I've narrowed it down to two, okay. and I'm gonna take the guess that it's Legally Blonde. No, damn. Okay. What was your other choice? Fast and Furious. No. Ooh, okay, um, okay. I'm intri- I'm intrigued now. Okay. American Pie two. <laughs> because if you remember no. from that movie, there's a moment of the two lesbians in their underwear, and they catch like Stifler, Oz, and Jim watching them. And they like and they're gonna rat them out until they like do all these things for that do like, all these like stupid perverse acts and the ones that she they tell Stifler and Jim to make out and that was voted best kiss and everyone's like what a gay a two man kissing was the best kiss <laughs> and there was like all this like pearl clutching and stuff like that in two thousand one what a twenty years ago yeah that yeah. wouldn't even that. Wouldn't even blip on anyone's radar today. Never mind, be controversial. That that is two men very, kissing. That is very interesting. I I never would have <laughs> thought of that for that award. That's crazy. I can still I can still remember seeing that on the news without seeing either one of these movies. Uh, yeah, that. Oh God, that's so weird. <laughs> one to think about yes, the MTV is. Movie Awards and also <laughs> just that concept. I haven't thought about yep. the MT- MTV Movie Awards in so long, but I have to say, when you brought it up, I uh, I popped open the Wikipedia real quick and gave a scroll through. I have to mention this. This this is from 1992 to 1998. They had a Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> I want I want to I want to list these seven years Lifetime Achievement Awards. Okay, from and it's, they didn't skip any years. I guess they just stopped it after 1998, or the person writing the Wikipedia page didn't care anymore. <laughs> Um, 1992. The person writing Wikipedia page killed themselves. Yes, yes, because it's it's actually pretty crazy. Okay, 1992. The winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award is Jason Voorhees. Stick with me, Zach. Stick with me. 1993 <laughs> is the Three Stooges. 
1994 is John Shaft. 1995 is Jackie Chan. 1996 okay. is Godzilla. 1997 is Chewbacca. And 1998, Clint Howard. <laughs> this has to be a joke. This this is this this is Clint Howard is literally a punchline <laughs> to that joke. <laughs> Is that not the most fucking ridiculous thing I've ever said to you, Zach? And I talked about sodomizing Mason Verger earlier in this discussion with the sterile lesbian bodybuilder. <laughs> That's a great joke. That's a. <laughs> and then they never gave another one out again. <laughs> Where do you go after Clint Howard? It's all downhill from there. The Wikipedia page actually says. After 1998, the producers decided to discontinue the Lifetime Achievement Award, feeling that after Howard's reaction, there was no way they could return to giving it out as a joke without humiliating the actor. This is, I, I feel like I need to find a clip of this and actually watch it. <laughs> I feel like there should be a Mount Rushmore somewhere or this. It's, it actually says, when, when presented with the award, Howard, who had never been told that the award was essentially a joke, <laughs> felt genuinely honored and gave a surprisingly heartfelt and emotional speech that made it clear that he was taking the award much, much more seriously than the producers intended. <laughs> I just love that we can put Jason Voorhees, Godzilla, and Chewbacca in the same category with Clint Howard and Jackie Chan from the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh my god <sighs> now that was the perfect chaser to this recording That's Rob that was the crazy. perfect chaser that is fucking crazy <laughs> oh my god oh jeez great oh jeez okay I mean uh, Silence of the Lambs hot take I don't really like it but it's a fantastic movie <laughs> <laughs> hot take Hannibal horrible <laughs> it's hot trash that's the hot take in hannibal it's hot trash yes there that i like that i like that uh hot, hottest take by tom harris hannibal is a samurai <laughs> <laughs> oh i mean what i mean what didn't we touch on silence of the lambs i mean i love uh who doesn't like a good old head in a jar we get that in the uh yeah, storage that's unit that's scene creepy. yeah that's creepy um uh, Clarice has bug scientist friends that have to tell her where the moth comes from. That want to have sex with her? Yes, yes, yep. And what was this? She's like, "Are you hitting on me, guy who is cross-eyed?" And he's like, "Yes." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. And she's it's... like, "Over here, over here." <laughs> I like that he's in the documentary. What like uh, John Lazar or something? His name is. Not Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar's the Area 51 conspiracy guy. Yeah. But he, he says something like, he's like, everywhere I go, people are like, hey, you're the bug guy from Silence of the Lambs. And he's like, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, good for that guy. <laughs> well, oh, <laughs> in the documentary, uh, what, Brooke, Brooke Smith, the girl, uh, the, she plays the senator's daughter. She says that people will, like, go to her and be like, my boyfriend does the tuck thing. And she's like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> oh, oh, boy. It's great. It's it's a movie. It's a great movie. If Jonathan Demi could just fucking move the camera away from somebody's face, it'd be even better. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Rob. With all that being said, are you ready to get into our questions? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking through my last bit of notes, and I think we got to 
absolutely everything. We really did a... Oh, I guess, I guess there's one other thing that we didn't mention, that for Silence of the Lambs, we do not have any mention of the Will Graham character, who is our cop man from Red Dragon and Manhunter. Uh, I found this interesting that when I was looking into this, because he's in the book, of course he's in the book, you know, there's some... The, the book of Silence of the Lambs I read that Jack Crawford's character and his relationship with Clarice is very much motivated by the events of Red Dragon. Because Red Dragon starts where Jack Crawford goes to Will Graham and says, like, I want you back, we need your help for this, because Will Graham has, like, left the FBI um, after his whole ordeal with the, uh, the the Hannibal Lecter case and catching him. And Hannibal Lecter, like, cuts his stomach up and st- type of stuff, so he's in the hospital for a while, and he go- goes to, like, a psychiatric hospital, too. But I was reading that in, in the movie, you know, I was kind of like, oh, why'd they cut Will Graham from Sansa Lambs, other than the fact that Manhunter was not well-received? And I-, I was reading something where people were reciting a story where it was like, yeah, we didn't really, you know, have uh, uh, we didn't really want to mention Will Graham because we wanted to focus more on Clarice and her, you know, relationship with Hannibal. We didn't want her to have to like say go to Will Graham and get some information on it. And it, it, it's being stated as very much like, oh, we didn't use Will Graham for a storytelling purpose. And then at the end of the of the of the story, it's like we also didn't have the rights. <laughs> So we couldn't mention him. And it's like, way to cover your ass there. Actually try and explain it away. And then be like, we also were, you know, not able to legally mention him. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. So That's great. Every, I, I would recommend to everybody, uh, I know this before we get to our questions, because it's not the focus. Check out Manhunter, the Michael Mann 1986 movie. It's really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, I would recommend it if you are checking out, if you want another Hannibal movie, that is up there with Silence of the Lambs. I would totally recommend it. Uh, don't watch Hannibal. If you don't want, don't watch another, Red if you don't want another Hannibal movie that does not match <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, watch Hannibal Rising. Yes, God, that movie. Like I said at the start, it's You'll not bad. You'll be thoroughly disappointed. It just makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> oh, I mean, mm. also, unless you are interested in Hannibal being a samurai and getting revenge, I mean, I can't imagine anybody would be interested in that. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe maybe it's a very small niche, Rob. I mean, I did. That movie came out in 2007, the same weekend as Norbit, I remember reading. Oh, God. <laughs> I think it, it, was, it lost it in the box cancer. office to Norbit. It was cinematic cancer across the board. Hannibal Rising opened to 13.4 million behind Norbit's 33.7 million. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Whoever wins, we lose. Yes. And then Hannibal Rising had a 59% drop in its, after its first weekend. Oh, God. It's, it's, a, it's a movie. Okay, I'm ready for our questions. Let's get back to it. So are we doing – it's been a while since we did a double feature. Are, are we doing questions for both? How do you want to run this, Zach? Uh, no, we're going to separate these. It's okay. not fair to tie trash to brilliance. Good. That is how I had my notes set up, so that is perfect. <laughs> that would be – it's a whole different conversation if these get paired together. <laughs> So I guess we'll start with Cinemodities. Hannibal is a hard no for me. The ending uh, is making making me uh, uh, want to say yes a little bit, but this whole movie, no, I don't think it's a Cinemodity. And I, I think this is, I think what you were hinting at earlier, Zach, I'm going to go no for Silence of the Lambs. I think it's it's such a well-made movie that is is so influential that it's not a cinemodity. I'm I'm doing it. I'm pulling the total recall precedent, which I've done many times even after disagreeing uh, with you on the total recall precedent precedent when it initially started. This could potentially be its own precedent because can a film that sweep the Oscars for the third time in history 
the five major awards. Mm-hmm. What best director, actor, actress, screen what uh screenplay and editing? Yes, I believe so. Can a film with that much sort of acclaim? Oh, not, can it be an oddity? Not editing, best picture. Oh, best picture. Yeah, best me. picture, best director, best actor, screen- actress, and adapted screenplay. Yeah. Yes. Can a film that sweep them all the major five categories can that be an oddity? That's the you're right. You're right because the Total Recall didn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, Total Recall did not win any Academy Awards. Um, that's a good question. That's because the question. It's so. Uh... But it does have the oddity, the fact it's a very niche type of horror thriller combination. It was successful not just in a box office way, but in a critical way, which is unheard of. Yes. Remember, the Oscars hate horror thrillers. Yeah. And oh, even yeah. and this wasn't this would have been uphill climb. But like we've talked about in previous episodes, this film came out in February 14th of 91 and had to wait an entire year. It still did that. And that's unheard of. And they mentioned in the documentary that by the time it was an Oscar consideration, it was already on VHS. Yes. That's the thing. This might be an oddie in the same way that like how Total Recall was an oddie that's able to bend the gauge all the way backwards, Mm. like all the way to like it might be an oddie for that reason and that it was able to do a lot of things. It's so Oh, God. Outside, it's so odd it was able to be normal. I was not expecting this question, and now that you brought it up, I have to. Because, of course, I read about the Oscar sweeps and stuff. Um, the other, the second movie to ever do this, because Zach already mentioned Silence is third, the second movie to ever do this is the live-action adaptation of Stark Raving Dad called One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, and that, I really like that movie. I'm, I'm trying to think, well, how would I answer these questions for that? And I think that is a very odd movie. Uh, that's a re- this yeah, is, this odd, is yeah. really interesting now, Zach. This is a really good Remember, question. Robert, this is this is very dangerous because we're setting precedent. Right, we think long and hard about that. Jesus, maybe we sh- we should have waited for Ben to be on this episode so we can ask him this, <laughs> and he's gonna go. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, May I mean this I is may- re- yeah. Go for it. I need you need you got to give us this insight. Yeah. Yes. I would like to make a motion to table this until the three-year anniversary episode. Give us some time. This is a major decision. We're going to adjourn and reconvene at a later date. This is too important okay, okay. considering the the magnitude of the decision at hand. We don't want to rush this. When I edit this this week, I'll be sure to put that in the three-year extravaganza tab in the spreadsheet yes. so we remember. But yes. I, you actually read my mind because I thought you were gonna you were going to say something one way or the other. And my joke was going to be, tune in in two weeks when we relitigate this in the three-year anniversary because Zach has more thoughts <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're just skipping that. And I agree with you. This is something I want to think about because that is a very – once again, we haven't talked about a lot of influential movies on this podcast like we were mentioning. But now we're discussing something that had such an impact in the awards, which we've never had, I think. I mean, because no. not even Titanic swept like that. Which is crazy. It, well, won, it won a lot well, of awards, yeah. but it didn't sweep like this one did. No, it was very unique. This is this is kind of like the the major five where Titanic did not get the actor, yeah, the actress more. So yes, interesting. I agree, Rob. Interesting. But late night movie, absolutely. Are you saying that for Silence or for both? No, 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 no. No for Hannibal. Oh, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Hannibal, Hannibal is a no for late night movie. I'm not. I'm still thinking about cinemati status. But the one thing I will give the caveat to Silence of the Lambs is if somebody it, it goes it kind of defaults to the normal rule for cinemati status. I'm sorry for late night movie mm-hmm. status is that 
one person has ha, cannot have seen it. Sure. In the sure. viewing party, at least one person cannot have seen the film. If all if a hundred percent of the viewing party has seen the film, it, I don't care how strange it is, or well, maybe not how strange it has to be. It has to be really out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has to be really out there movie that everyone's seen it. But in an instance like this, where it's such a got a film that's so prominent in the culture to this day, no, it it, it depends. It has to be at least one person has not seen sure, it in the viewing sure. party. Otherwise, it's not a late night movie. I would agree with that, and this actually gets at something you mentioned earlier, where um, you know, like you said that you you had uh, for Silence of the Lambs, you had remembered a lot of the movie when you rewatched it for this recording. I did too, you know, even though I'd only seen it once before, and like I said, six seven years ago. There's a lot that sticks with you after you see this movie. And I think that goes exactly to what you're saying, and I would agree with you that this should be you're showing it to someone as a late night movie um, and letting them experience it for the first time. Yes, I'm, I agree. I'm also I was I'm definitely if we're separating them, I'm definitely leaning no towards Hannibal because it's a, a travesty as we've described. But I was in the back of my head, I was thinking about when I was thinking about this making my notes. I might say that this is a late night double feature, so you can watch Silence of the Lambs and then go now. Look how bad they fucked it up <laughs> with the sequel. <laughs> and it's kind oh, of God. like that leads oh, to some God. good discussion. If you can get through what that's like a, over four hours a movie at that point. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Dick, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. yeah no. <laughs> it's no. a, it's a it's late night experience oh, where both who, however many people both or whatever a group of people you're watching Silence of the Lambs. It's a very, you know. Entrancing experience because there's so much to look at in this movie. You know, not a lot of talking. You're just in the moment. Maybe everybody goes, "That's the dopest shit." When Hannibal takes off the guy's mask in the ambulance, you know. But then, as soon as Hannibal starts, you have me or you, Zach, going, "Look at this! Why would Frankie Fazan have that mask? Why would he have that mask?" And then it's just constant complaining for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As for late night movie for Hannibal, it's gonna be a no for me. Fair. Fair. Hannibal and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad film. <laughs> oh man! I mean, the only the the only we got Ray Liotta. Fear me. That's the only thing I'm going to say about late night Hannibal. Just I want to see Ray Liotta's brains at the end. Just show that scene. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you watch that film just distilled by itself, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You'll enjoy this movie more just watching that scene on YouTube. Yep. Okay. Well, this is great. I'll get to put in the spreadsheet As, uh, unanswered and relitigate <laughs> or whatever it is for this one. Well, for cinema, like, well, Cinemati's for Hannibal. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, Hannibal. Hannibal. But uh, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to explain. I it. feel it's like it no. has to be. It's it has to be no. It's so. It's so like. I don't really want to say cookie cutter, but it's more of what I'm expecting from, like we said, like a Ridley Scott from it's like the overindulgence in Hannibal after he's the breakout character from the first one. I think it's got to be no. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's shocking in the same way that like Fifty Shades of Grey was shocking as a book in 2013. And that it's like it's only shocking because like everything is telling us it's shocking, not because it is. Yeah, yeah. It's try- It's trying too hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hunt, that's a really good way to put it, is trying too hard. The movie's trying too hard. Anthony Hopkins is trying too hard. Uh, uh, Julianne Julian, Moore is just sitting in a basement. Julianne Moore is trying so hard not to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I, I want to kick off Snacks with um, the, the one concession I made. I, I really wanted all my snacks to just stick from Silence and Hannibal. But I had to take one from Ralph Dragon, uh, Ralph Dragon, Ralph Fines and Red Dragon. I would love that we have we offer the opportunity for our customers to eat original copies of famous paintings. 
<laughs> I don't. It, it's not like they get to choose to the painting. Their prowess, right? It, to gain yeah, their prowess, right? Exactly. But I, I would love if, for, like, somehow we get our hands on some famous paintings, the original copies. We put them on the menu, and you know, someone could be like, "Hmm." I would like to eat Persistence of Memory by Salvador Dali. How'd you get that one? Don't worry about it. <laughs> and and we can just go from there. If somebody really wants to ferociously eat a painting, we will let them. So that's the one concession, the one snack I'm taking from a movie other than uh, Silence and Hannibal. But that scene is so goddamn funny because Ralph Fiennes knocks out the museum employee and then just starts ferociously ripping up the painting and shoving it into his mouth. <laughs> oh, I forget God. that. I don't even remember that moment. That that's probably goes with the Hannibal ending. Just find that scene on YouTube and watch it. It is way more <laughs> satisfying than the rest of that movie. <laughs> That Anthony Hopkins with, like, a baby bungee cord, like, in a gymnasium. <laughs> Edward Norton, I forgot to mention, Edward Norton isn't even the one who kills the Red Dragon at the end. It's his wife. It's fucking Mary Louise Parker uh, with her beady eyes and being left by Billy Crudup while she's pregnant. She's the one who shoots him. <laughs> it's so unsatisfying because Gil Grissom kills him in, in Manhunter, and it's a great ending because he's been chasing him. And it's like it's his, he, he dove back into the world that he left in the FBI, and he has the resolution. He saves the woman. He kills Tom Noonan. And in this one, Edward Norton gets, like, stabbed or shot, and he's like, you do it, wife. Okay. And it's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, okay, so, so that that was my one concession. I think there's one snack that we can both agree on, Zach. We have to have some form of liver, fava beans, and Chianti, right? Yes, of course. I think of that's course. almost a foregone conclusion. There is an episode of Cutthroat Kitchen where it's like a Halloween episode, and I'm pretty sure the host, Alton Brown, like dresses up like Hannibal, and they have to make liver and fava beans. I'm pretty sure that's Cutthroat Kitchen. Chopped wouldn't do something that goofy. So, yeah. I wish. But no. <laughs> talk about Talk about influential. <laughs> <laughs> it influences a cooking show. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? What What do you got, Zach? I got more, but what are you What do you got for for snacks? Oh, snacks! Oh boy, there's oh god. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of like like this film is the equivalent, much like how in uh, Doctor Sleep is the equivalent of uh, an axe to the groin. Yes, this Hannibal is the equivalent of glass to the face. Um, oh, okay. I like that. I like I like glass film... to the face or groin, like the uh, the pickpocket scene. That's a sure. lot oh, of blood. Dude, in this that film is also a. I don't know. I feel like a glass to the face is much more what this film is supposed to like, like a knife to the groin. I would agree. Um, we already have one. We already have one sharp object to the groin on the menu. We don't want to really infringe on Doctor Sleep's uh, territory. Um, this film is nowhere near as bad as Doctor Sleep. I can handle Hannibal. I cannot handle Doctor Sleep. I agree completely. Yeah, this is Hannibal yes. not a great, not a good movie in any way, shape, or form. We've we've expressed our thoughts on that completely in this discussion. I think, but it is it is nowhere near Doctor Sleep. I I also am going to say that I I do have to say though that I like it better than Sugar and Spice. It might be one slot above Sugar and Spice. <laughs> I am going to say this is the worst film we talk about in the fourth year. I don't know. I have Zach. a lot to say, but Shrek's I think, on this I list. Think <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I you don't like Shrek. Shrek. <laughs> but this is the thing, though. There might be more to say about this film than Sugar and Spice, but yes. I would rather watch Sugar and Spice than this. Sugar and Spice is only like 70 minutes. This is like Sugar and Spice is half as long as this. But you can't when you're watching Sugar and Spice, you can't say fear me. Every time Ray Liotta's on <laughs> screen, I can say fear me in Hannibal. That gives it a bump up, I think. 
Oh god, did they watch like like Goodfellas at all during Sugar and Spice? They're trying to plan like crime no, stuff. No, they I guess there's don't. No heist in that movie. They don't. Yeah, they don't. What was Dog Day Afternoon, Heat, and Point Break, and Reservoir Dogs? They are is not the other Ray- one. Yeah, no, no. Uh, they are not Ray Liotta films. No, fear me. No, uh, no Ray Liotta, fear me. <laughs> <laughs> it's surprising that RL hasn't shown up in a Tarantino movie. You think he'd be primed for something like that? I know. I saw like, you, you, you did that. You didn't want to say his name. <laughs> Good old RL. RL Stein? No, Ray Liotta. Yes, RL. Hear me. <laughs> you know my favorite? Do you, know my, do you want to know the exact moment when I figured out that Ray Liotta? Fear me. <laughs> thank you. I love it. He was like, like a has-been. You want to know the exact moment when I figured out he was a has-been actor? The Chantix commercials? Well... That no, no, this came well before. Oh, okay, okay. I I just want to. I I don't want to. I'll. I think it's quick enough for me to tell now. Uh, two commercials for Chantix were airing parallel. One with Ray Liotta as the spokesperson. Fear me. One with an animated turkey as the spokesperson. Yeah. These weren't two separate ad campaigns. They were airing at the same time. (laughs) I like how Rob hates commercials. Yet he knows this. Like I know this Ray Liotta. Fear me. I remember, like in 2007, there was Hannah Montana Uh-oh. and Ray Liotta. Fear me. <laughs> showed up, and it wasn't like, oh wow, here's Ray Liotta. Fear me. <laughs> it was, oh, he's doing this because it's work. He's not yeah. doing this as like a cute little nod. It was like, oh, this is the only work he can get. And this is before like Hannah Montana blew up either. Like oh, this was wow. still like okay. season one. Jeez. Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know. I mean, I think I've read that before. But I didn't know that it was that early, so that's crazy. Yeah, yeah pour, pour one out for good old Fear Me. <laughs> Make a giant donation to charity in his name. <laughs> yes. And by charity, we mean to Ray Liotta's bank account. <laughs> Fear Me. Oh, God. Okay, good, good, good tan- Chantix tangent. <laughs> Yes. Um, what was your what snack did you even mention last? I forget now. <laughs> I told you it's it's glass to the face. Oh yes, yes, of course, of course. How how could we? Do? Yes, glass glass to the face. I like that. For Silence of the Lands, I don't know. Like like there's got. I know you hate moths, which we didn't really talk about in this episode. There's a lot of moths. Well, I hate here. I hate when they're in my but, apartment. <laughs> okay. You I don't think I hate them screen? in general. I, I, I they're fine if they're not in my apartment. <laughs> What you okay? I have an idea. You saw in the behind the scenes thing they had hired the moth trainer who designed costumes for the moths because they was kept dying. So fascinating that they they had yes. like a moth expert that was like, I can build them a costume. <laughs> yes. Oh god, we need that. We should hire that person to decorate our moths that okay. sneak into the restaurant. Okay, I I could get behind that. That's a uh, that sounds cool. And um, it, it is it is really neat. Um, like the uh, they put that. Oh god, I didn't write it down. I'm looking through my notes. But the like the skull look on the back of the moth is a Salvador Dali mm. painting that they use, and it's like of it's the actual painting is um like of women's bodies in the form like laying in a form so it makes a skull so if you look at it up close it looks like you know naked women's bodies laying together but you take a step back it looks like a skull it's it's one of those interesting salvador dali paintings and they used it for i think they're called the death's head moth in the movie oh and so that was that was really neat um but yeah i i'm totally with that we have to have some bugs in the restaurant and why not have an expert to handle the moths (laughs) (laughs) exactly i was and i think this ties into one of the snacks that i had from silence we should have moth cocoons as an appetizer oh because they clarice finds the moth cocoon in the one of the victim's mouths 
or throat or something like that. And I think that we should have just straight up, you know, hey, if somebody wants some moth cocoons, just chow down on them. Because if you get, if you get like anything in a cocoon at the right time, it's like goo inside. Like if you if it's if yes. it's just when it's starting, it's still a lot like the caterpillar or the early form. If it's when it's ending, it has like the structure of the animal. But there's a period. I don't know if this is the right term, but when the cocoons are ripe enough, that they're just goo on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that? <laughs> I, I like that. I like how it was phrased. Like I'm not sure if this is the right term, but it hasn't ripened yet. <laughs> oh, so so we have some moth cocoons as an appetizer. Like I'm I just imagining like you know some restaurants you get like say an order of mozzarella sticks. And it comes out on a plate where, like, the mozzarella sticks are aligned, and there's, like, a little cup of marinara sauce in the middle. Like, I'm thinking we have just, like, like six m- moth cocoons, like, laid out, and there's just, like, a cup of ranch in the middle or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I, I, I don't know what this is called. I know there's a name for it. Like, I know it, like, back in the day at Chili's, you would get, like, the Southwestern egg rolls. It would come, like, this weird, I don't know, it was maybe, like, an aioli or something. Sure. But, like, it was, like... It was like it was like ranch, but like it had like a slightish green hue to it. Okay, and that's what you would dip it in. I want that. I don't know what that <laughs> is, but I want that. Okay, I, I dig that. Yeah, it'll be like our signature moth sauce or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're calling it. Our signature we'll bottle moth it. Sauce. We'll sell it in the gift shop too. <laughs> Okay, Rob remembers that time like years ago where I sent him like the picture of the condiments. It was like like fucking good like chili oh, sauce yeah. or like mustard sauce. Yeah, I like doing that, but it's it's like it's ranch dressing with green food dye. And it says our special Cinemati's restaurant specialty moth sauce. That's great. That is great. <laughs> in a mason in a mason jar. I want that. Perfect. I want that. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm so on board with that. That's awesome. <laughs> I want that. I want that. That's that's a for sale thing in the restaurant gift shop. That's that's actually edible. Oh, can we sell two versions? Creamy and chunky, and the chunky has chunks of the moth <laughs> cocoon in it. Oh god, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. The chunky would either be the moth cocoon chunks or chunks of Mason Verger's face. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever's easiest to obtain. Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> I think another another low-hanging fruit, of course, that I have is, uh, especially for the Sin E modities portion of the restaurant, some cooked brains. I think that goes without saying. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh, without we, saying. We tell the children in the Sin E modities part of the restaurant that they should always try new things. <laughs> that could be the motto for the entire restaurant. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. That's a, Yeah, I like that. Another one from uh, Silence of the Lambs. Right before Hannibal breaks out of his cage in the ballroom thing, he's getting served his dinner, and it's the lamb chops, extra rare. I think that we should have lamb chops, extra rare, as a dish. Maybe the exact same one we see. I didn't write down any, like, the sides or whatever else is on there. But we have this dish, but the customer has to eat it while handcuffed, like Hannibal is. Oh, okay. So it's like like a true kind of, like, prison meal type of thing. Because I was actually interested... When he's in the Baltimore prison and behind glass, it kind of makes sense that he's not in handcuffs. And so if they want to give him food, you know, they put it in that little uh, drawer thing that goes in and out of his cell and he can eat it regularly. Would they have taken his handcuffs off in that cage thing? 
Or would they would have, like, just altered his position so he would still have handcuffs on, but he's still eating? I was interested to see what happens, but then, of course, he breaks out and kills the guard and all that stuff. So we didn't really get to figure yeah, it out. interesting. But I would totally want it to be like the customer gets handcuffed, hands behind the back type of thing, and has to chow down, you know, just with their, their jaw and face. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, oh yeah. And then I think the last one, before I throw it over back to you, Zach, is uh, from Hannibal. We all know that we have a lot of people who can't find their way out of the restaurant. The uh, the population of the Cinemodities restaurant, if you will. And every once in a while, in any population, you need to control that population. So we let the boars that eat people out into the restaurant every once in a while to cull the population. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> Oh, Mason Verger's boars to to eat a okay. bunch of the people when too they, many get in there. <laughs> but are they still like immune to fear? Like, how's that work? They just eat everything. I just want them to eat all the people or most of the people. <laughs> you know, actually, no. Well, well, now I was about to say that it should be something like they won't eat the people with no fear. But if our population is just the people with no fear, there's probably going to be an uprising against us. So we don't want that. So we want, we're going to train the boars to only eat the people with no fear. So we keep the population okay. of frightened, trapped customers. Perfect. Okay. Figured it out, Zach. We have to retrain Mason Burgers boars a little bit, but we can do it. We've done a lot of other crazy shit. We can do this. Uh, I feel like eating, I feel, I feel like eating customers is bad to our business. Wasn't there something else too, like we're eating the customers or something? Like, wasn't there has got to be something on it. I feel like we're, we're, we're destroying our product by doing that. Well, I mean, we're only letting them eat the people. Maybe be like we close it out to new customers. It's just an, uh, like a part. How where... about customers that don't pay or the low pay? Like people order the cheap stuff, like just like eat the bread. I like that too. Glass I like of water. that too, yeah. Um, definitely, you know, there's some kinks to be worked out. Not to be shamed, to be worked out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that we, we definitely, we can't just have more. Well, see, damn, now I'm. This is the problem when you have a paradoxically infinite restaurant that I, I'm saying we need to control the population. But do we need to control the population? How do you – the population density of an infinite restaurant always is zero because we don't have infinite people. Exactly. This is, this, is a tough, this is a tough one, Zach. I say we relitigate this in the three-year anniversary episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't know if I'm serious about that. all these things. <laughs> We'll let Rob figure it out in anything, whether he's serious about yes. this or not. I like that before we started recording, we changed some things up for the three-year anniversary, and I was like, oh, good, that makes it a little shorter, makes it a little easier to record, and now we're throwing more stuff into it. <laughs> That's how Sam Adi's works. Every time we clean up space, we always it's like one step, it's like what, one step forward, two steps back? Yep. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you have any other snacks? I ran through all of mine. Any others from you? Uh, well, there's... <sighs> Everything else just seems kind of so easy, but I'm going to leave it at the moth sauce. I can't top that. I can't that is a really top good Cinemati one. signature moth sauce. That is a really, really good one, Zach. <laughs> it's kind of up there. I kind of like want to do my – Rob knows my infamous experiment that I want to do, and it's kind of a moot point now where I want to take an empty Tide Pods bucket and just fill it with fruit gushers and just eat it in a movie theater <laughs> and see if anyone gives me a dirty look. I want to take like moth sauce to like an Italian restaurant. Just be like, hi, can you put this over some rigatoni for me, please? <laughs> What is it? <laughs> Special moth sauce. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cinemati's signature moth sauce. It's a status symbol. You know, like people bring in their own hot sauce places. Bring my own moth sauce places. <laughs> <laughs> I dip all my stuff. I, I can go to like Wendy's or like uh, Dairy Queen. I dip my chicken tenders in the <laughs> Cinemati signature moth sauce. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, oh, like, God. what's in it? I don't know, but it tastes delicious. I feel like this is – if we ever had, like, a, a Cinemodities restaurant commercial, that would be a selling point is the signature moth sauce. Give, <laughs> <laughs> like, confessionals of people you... there and be like, I wanted ketchup, but they had the signature moth sauce. How can I go wrong? <laughs> I don't know why the person's southern in that commercial. <laughs> I want is a busboy, like uh, Buffalo Bill. Like, like he's going around to the table and he's just standing there and he's like, put the fucking dish in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not done. Put it in the fucking basket. <laughs> it puts the dirty utensils in the basket or it gets the hose again. Is he doing the tuck during these interactions? Uh, no, that's just that, that's only on Friday nights. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. When it's an, one of those events. When animatronic, sure. when only when the animatronics break down, that we put him on stage. <laughs> quick, quick! We need someone to go on stage. Buffalo Bill, we're gonna put on Goodbye Horses. Do the tuck. <laughs> <laughs> we also put him in the bathroom as a person that like gives you like napkins and stuff, or not napkins, like towels. Oh, oh, oh the, yeah, the bathroom attendant. <laughs> Yes, and as women like reapply their makeup, like they'd be like, "Would you fuck me?" And he'd be like, "I'd fuck me." Would you fuck me? <laughs> That's I'd awesome. fuck me. Would you fuck me? Delightful. Fuck me. Would you fear me? <laughs> I'd fear me. <laughs> Delightful. Okay. Well, I guess oh, if boy. that's everything, there's two things left. One, we should mention what we're discussing next week, even though we, I think, we hinted at it a few times. Yes. Of course, we're gonna we're gonna do the bottom slice of bread on our Hannibal sandwich. The top slice was the disgusting, moldy piece known as sugar and spice that nobody wants to eat. <laughs> we had some good meat with Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs, and I would say next week saving Silverman. It's more stale bread. It's not moldy. It's kind of stale. And Zach's it's, like, nope, it's, it's first class, com- fresh out of the oven ciabatta. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. I'd say okay. it's fresh wonder bread. Okay, okay. I like that. I like that. That might be that might be an oxymoron, but I think everyone home gets it. Sure, sure. But uh, I everybody tune in. Um, it's It only makes sense that this is the trilogy. Raunchy teen comedy, Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, <laughs> and then a raunchy comedy. <laughs> it only makes sense. <laughs> It always makes sense. And, and it should be noted that in – I think I said it in next week's discussion that uh, Amanda Pete has the Hannibal Lecter mask and Hannibal Lecter is referenced by name. Yes, that – her chain to the lawn chair with the, uh, with the catcher's mask made me lose my mind in Saving Silverman. That was an event. So tune in. <laughs> tune in to, uh, to that next week and uh, we'll be continuing on with the fort year, which has been good so far. And then the last thing is how do we end this episode – I think it has to be Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus in reverse. <laughs> Got to get that Buffalo Bill. I guess in reverse would be the Untuck, right? <laughs> Everybody keep that in mind as I play this. Because I can't do – I would love to do As Strong As I Am from Manhunter, but that's from Manhunter. Got to go with something from our topic, so it has to be Goodbye Horses. What do you think, Zach? I concur. Would you talk me? I'd tuck me. I'd tuck me. <laughs> I love now that this this has been like the running joke of this episode, even from my start. It's not mentioned once next week. <laughs>
many F's are you going to put in the intro? Cinemated, yeah, F's. You know, like Anthony Hopkins with the like the F noise. No, 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 Rob. I'm going to tell you, put the fucking lotion in the basket. Oh God, I I should have practiced the intro and I should have done it like doing the uh, Ted Levine Buffalo Bill voice. <laughs> oh God, this episode's gonna be insane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it puts the lotion in. Oh my God. Okay, how's it? Oh God, I'm so, put the fucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie. Okay. <laughs> I love how in that documentary they show that like three times and they have to bleep it out because it's the History Channel or whatever. Put the fucking lotion on the basket! (laughs) It rubs the lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again. (laughs) Isn't that right, Precious? Oh my god. Oh boy, here we go. (laughs) This is going to be one for the ages. All right. 